0: Today's podcast is powered by Metro Mugs.
1: I'm just a more than average guy. My friends are boring. And so am I.
0: We're just ordinary average guys. Today is Tuesday, March 10th. And we have Marnita with Marnita's Table on today's podcast. Decky Positive Impact, how are we? We're doing great, Andy Aztec. Uh,
2: absolutely ripping life out here. Um, but yeah, we have Marnita on the podcast today. What a powerful woman who is just educating the dumb brains of Andrew and myself. Uh, every time we have, you know, been either at her tables, which she'll get into of what Marnita's table is, but anytime we've been around her. At her tables, just around her, she has educated us and grown our perspective far more
0: than we ever would have imagined. Ride her energy, because she's going to come at you right away with just her personality, which is just amazing, and we're excited to do more things with Marnita outside of this podcast. Potentially uh, helping her produce her own podcast, so you
2: guys definitely lock in. This is one of our longer episodes, but it's definitely worth the ride. She has a story for every experience uh, that you could have for your back pocket. Enjoy. Sweet. So, you had a good day today?
3: It was a very intense day. Intense? Yeah, it was an intense day today. Um, the work that we do at Marnita's Table is um, about making sure that we're centering the conversation around people who are marginalized or who are typically powerless. And, you know, this organization began in my living room. The first 14,000 people came to my house. I cooked for them myself. And um, we founded this organization, partially because I came out of foster, foster care. I didn't feel, I was not a belonger, if that makes sense. I was somebody who was not necessarily welcome or didn't really belong. And in 15 years, we've grown this organization from two people in a living room, inviting people informally to an organization with 12 employees, we now have been in 12 cities. We're going to be all over the world this year. And at the same time that we're building this infrastructure to do this while we're going out, and you guys were at a table out in the country. And mm-hmm. Farmington, so that, Minnesota. Farmington, Minnesota. But you heard a lot of different viewpoints, right? And a lot of diversity at that table, right? Um, so the table we had on the Tuesday was out. And in fact, I noticed that the mayor of, for instance, um, of one of the small cities <laughs> near Chaska had come with his he's a a donor to well um the Trump campaign and he had a, a 45 jacket on, like, you know, he was in the room talking about equity with us and they want to get involved. They're super excited, but you know, there's a lot of fear, you know, out in the community. So I'm out in rural places um, where they're afraid of refugees coming in and the refugees aren't really sure if they're going to be accepted. So I'm holding, you know, you kind of saw how we hold space, but then at the same time we're doing that. We're also, I'm trying to show up as a different kind of leader, and so we also need all sorts of internal processes and practice practices. And so, you know, I, I don't know. If you guys are starting. This has kind of started here too, in a in a room. But at some point, you're going to be big enough that you're going to actually worry about things like somebody's going to say, "Oh, that it's not okay." Uh, like, what does consent look like? You know, like when I walked in, Deke immediately hugged me. You know, like because we had that warm feeling, but. Like you'd be surprised later for me to say, I felt really uncomfortable. I didn't feel like I could say no to that. Like, so Mm -hmm. we're trying to make sure that as we, that we don't build an organization that looks like it's going to go global. And like right now I'm sitting here, but I'm planning to be sitting here in a couple of years and all of us. To be a lot bigger with a lot larger operations, right? Going oh, worldwide, right. we're all we're all going global here, right? Yeah, absolutely. we're absolutely
2: going global. But I think what you're getting at is like you want to maintain that that same comfortable atmosphere and space, right. no matter how big you
3: actually grow. And so, what we're working on right now is um, what we call a culture, a community culture of consideration, concern, and consent. Um, Can and you say w- that one more time? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's hard isn't it it's like five C's <laughs> right it, it's a lot of C's and actually I like alliteration that's kind of what okay. that a a community culture of consideration concern and consent hmm. so first of all we're just considerate of one another like what, what are your needs not just what my needs are um, you have needs I'm concerned like I actually know that you have needs but also you have the right to you know if you feel comfortable with me pinching you, or you know, the, the, like 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 we're doing that, touchy totally feely, you, yeah, touchy feely. Like I'm a touchy feely like person, Slide like me upside the, the head. head. Like and I feel like you're kind of like like that person, like that, <laughs> like when you do that, like you gotta you beat me up, right? Yeah. You know? Whereas like maybe Andrew isn't like, and mm-hmm. you both could have the right to to do that, and not because you know I'm a woman of color and you are white men, like that you that you have the right to your bodies, I have the right to my body. What does that look like?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and and how do you build? structure that has power authority you can get things done but also have this culture and not always have it be just what's legal or what limits your liability but what does it look like to create a community that's based not there's a whole field that we're in right now on the work that we do at marnita's table that's called um, trauma informed and the idea is you know we have communities that have Indigenous people stripped of their lands, um, things like that. And so trauma-informed. Well, we are trying to move to something called wellness-informed. Like, do you have to have trauma first to deserve to be treated well?
1: Mm.
3: Um, But the problem with the wellness-informed sort of model is that then it leaves out the fact that sometimes um, I, I've been having a hard week because I've realized as a leader, I've always thought I was this really badass leader. <laughs> Which again? you are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you're a badass. But I also am, tro- like I came out of foster care, right? So I've been learning about myself as a leader that sometimes I'm 58, just so you know, or I'm gonna, I'll be 58 next month in March, but that um, I sometimes do things um, to be one of the gang to be liked, to be cool, right? Like, that um, I may not have grown beyond, like, we started in my living room. Like, we started, you know, like, uh, doing shots of tequila at the end of the night. Like, you know, and and you really can't do that anymore when you, like, you don't know. You don't know who's in recovery, who who needs extra support. Like, you actually have to change. What does that look like, even if you didn't come from a white male patriarchy, heteronormative background? Like, that's not my background, but am I recreating those structures and what does that look like and so we're doing some really deep work internally right now and it's um you know and it's surprising to even know that people sometimes view me as having all this power when i don't think of myself that way coming out of you know five dollars in my pocket at 16 leaving home you know like i don't see myself as the patriarchy if you will but yeah i think uh, yeah sorry i'm
2: sorry um i really want to touch on your on your uh your story from a from child to Marnita's table because it is fascinating you've touched on it a few times leaving home at sixteen um, so knowing that that is where I want to go I have one question for you fifty eight years of your life mm-hmm. assuming today or this week hasn't been your happiest or maybe it was what was a time period where you were happiest well I mean, looking back at it
3: well you know it's funny I'm today I mean like awesome. so even with the drama and the trauma and what I'm trying to grow. Yeah. You know, I'm more comfortable in my body. Now I'm more comfortable as a person. I actually, every once in a while I make a, I'll be surprised. Like I think somebody really liked, like I have issues about, being kicked outside the ring of love. So I'm a little bit like a wiggly puppy. Sometimes like, like me, like me, like me. Um, I'm I, the same way. Okay. <laughs> I feel that. Yes. Absolutely. You know, like, like, do you like me? Do you like me? And I think, isn't that kind of, cause we, you, I know you are a, a stand up yeah. and I have aspirations. Yeah. And I think that's actually, it's, you know, it's kind of like Madonna being a rock. Like, there, 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 there are certain people. If you want to get up on a stage and have a bunch of people laugh at you, um, and have the whole crowd coming with you, there is yeah. a, this desire to be approved of and liked, and have. Well,
2: you're always you're always yearning for that while you're on stage. You know, riffing this, that, and the other. But let's also look at it like you you know yourself, and you're very comfortable with yourself, which I believe is like one of the first things you need to be a great stand up comic. Like. Not saying that I am or anything, but I'm on that journey towards doing it. You're just fifty-eight years into it, and I can tell like from your cadence, how you talk, how comfortable you are, but then also like bringing people along with you, uh, with the different things that you you know bring up that are funny. I'm like, yeah,
3: Marnie to Marnie to has a good shot at comedy. Um but so I'm trying to learn how to, you know, like how do you how do you continually grow? Mm. You know, how do you not just become complacent? It it beyond complacent, like I I think it, I think this is for us when confronting climate change or, um, we, we take, we take on really big topics at the table, right? Like we're supposed to be able to talk about things, um, that are complex. I mean, like really complex. So, you know, when we talk about LGBTQ plus rights or not being able to use the bathroom, we are actually talking about bodily functions. Like have you ever stood outside of a bathroom door, um, Unable like have you ever been denied the right to use a bathroom that's a very physical process right um, so like we have to be able to talk about really complex things um we're having a women's event on March fifth in Minneapolis. Hit me up I got VIP tickets for all of you in Minneapolis um, if you like, like, in the show notes <laughs> okay, good. yeah info at Table dot org and just just hit us up at Marnita's or our facebook um, but that when when we're in our bodies, when we show up in our bodies, everything, I I don't know if you felt that at Thursday night, like we were having a meal together. We were talking about the food we needed in our bodies. Um, I was at an event last Tuesday night where 220 people were there. It was this, you know, big event in Carver County and uh, the city manager was standing in front of me and talking to me. And, um, I don't know if you have moms or whatever who've gone through menopause, but I'm (laughs) and literally I just my whole body like started to melt and like I like I was like literally melting in front of this person and like you can either play that off like you can either be like but there's not really a good excuse to be drenching in sweat like suddenly like in the middle of a room that you're facilitating so you can either just be honest and be like dude if you've ever had a mom if you've ever like like like, if you've ever had that happen like like but but the fact is half of the population lives in a body like mine and most of us, if we live long enough, are going to have this happen to us, and it does change our it changes our home. All, but we work together. We have to live together. We have to have public policy about this. Like these are actually embodied things. But when you talk about them, well, then you know, like I'm sitting here talking to two young men, like just being just like, hey, yeah, I'm sweating, and I've got and like, but that's, but we should be able to talk about those things, mm-hmm. and it, yeah. and I'm not suggesting it, it. I'm a human. I live in a body. It means I. And when we have policies, like so that's when we talk about having people come to the table really thinking about the public policies and the way they want their community to be shaped. How do you welcome somebody who's a refugee into the community? How do you welcome somebody? How do you make sure that people who already have space in the community aren't moved aside by another person? Those kinds of things. I think
2: you're asking questions that require a community of answers. Yes. Does that make sense like exactly you're you're unpacking such big topics that like if one person were to answer it over a coffee that's just one perspective you need at least a couple handful of people delivering an answer or a different perspective as to why they're answering it a certain way to then kind of better understand the perspective i think that's what andrew and i ultimately took away was like we were just blown away from all the different things we were learning about food and agriculture down in farmington minnesota These were things that we had never really thought about, but were challenged to think about in that moment, in that couple hours that we were there, obviously over some great food and then getting to meet all these people along the way. I mean, it's just, it's amazing.
3: Right. And so that just, but how do we live in our bodies? How do we make sure that Mm
1: -hmm.
3: what our body is doing isn't infringing on somebody else's body or offending them, Um, you know, like does somebody, and then not realizing that you actually have power that you don't know you have. Right. Like you, you know, like you guys have the power of a studio, right? And you don't know. You're flirting with somebody, and that person thinks that you're flirting with them in exchange. Like, but you're just flirting with <laughs> like, like, like there's com- we're complex. Humans are complex. Oh, yeah. And the way one person's going to, and so it's actually as we become leaders and we're growing, right? So now I'm not just me with my cool team. My cool team is now having to develop, like, Aswar will have a team that he's developing and Elijah will have a team that he's developing and Lex will have a team that they're developing.
2: These are all your employees, right?
3: Yes. uh, They're all... uh, They're all part of the table. They're all part of the table. So like Lex is our head of research, Mm -hmm. you know, and so what does it look like getting their master's degree from the U of M in human rights and really bringing this human rights lens in and what does it look like and how do you slow down enough to make sure that people's rights are being respected? Mm.
1: Um,
3: What does that look like um and and it doesn't it's not always comfortable it's not always comfortable in my body it's not always comfortable you know and I'm learning that I have all sorts of power that I didn't know I had I've always felt fairly powerless and so mm-hmm. that's been a big you know to me I was just this you know yeah like, well, why do? You,
2: why would you say oh sorry
0: well I, I do love like uh, with Marnita's table and when you walk in um, you set up the whole room and you take care of the little things so that the individual feels empowered right when they walk in from the smallest thing of not wearing a name tag so you feel like you have an opening question to ask the person sitting next to you. Hey, what's your name? My name's Andrew. Versus just like staring down at their shoulder being like, oh, I already know their name. I'm not, I don't have anything to ask them now. Mm-hmm. So like that small thing to um, the way you structure the room, you take care of the little things to empower the individual walking in. Right. And I'm curious, where do you think like that desire and that sort of like way of thinking the maybe it's empathy where do you think that comes from
3: from you personally mine was not being inside the ring of love so Declan asked me to share a little of my story so I tell this story it's I'm a big fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and so I think everybody's origin stories if you've seen my TED talk I actually start by saying everybody says you start a TED talk with your origin story so mine is I was born in 1962 in the Pacific Northwest when I was born in 1962 and until 1967 with Loving v. Virginia it was illegal in 17 state for my biological mother and father to date or be married because of anti-miscegenation laws so when I was born and until I was 7 months old I lived with my biological mother and then my melanin came in and I'm clearly a woman of color, so. But I and actually my son, who you met, one of them, Elijah, it, it likewise looked completely white until he was seven months old. People were like, because his his dad was much darker than me, and everybody was like, how did you come up with this white baby? But then when he turned seven months, he became very chocolatey, and that's very common with black people by the way if you didn't know that it's true we get melanin <laughs> as we age i did not know that yeah mm-hmm. so and some brown babies or black babies are born very brown and others are born very white and then become brown in their first year of life
1: very cool
3: and it's very cool so you just kind of don't know mm-hmm. how brown your baby's going to be um but in my case my biological grandmother gave my biological mother the choice of putting me up for adoption or disowning her because it was enough of a stigma for a white family in the 1960s in the United States to have a black grandchild unexplainably. And I'm listed as white on my birth certificate, although clearly I am not white. Um, Still to this day? Uh, yeah. Well, tech, I don't know. I, you know what? I was adopted when I was 18 years old. And so they got in. It's complicated it's so complicated that birth certificate i can no longer access it because they got rid of it when i got adopted as an mm. adult at age 18 and so and i'm not sure if they put i don't know i have to go back and look i have not actually requested my birth certificate since the new one went in it's would pretty
2: cool like a piece of history you know? right
3: but i used to have so um because of that, I ended up in the foster care system. And so I was in three homes before I was two and a half years old. And there's a lot of data about, I don't know if you know about the foster care system at all, but 25% of all people who are in the foster care system end up committing suicide. Just mm, really? a little horrible fact. I wow. mean, um, if you think about it, it's because, you know, when young people age out of the foster care system at 18, um if they're in the foster, they may not have any family. Like, you know, were you ready to be completely independent at age 18?
2: No, no, absolutely not. But I did move away to go to college, so it's like.
3: Yeah, but I bet it's you might a little might bit have, different of a challenge. You might have had a credit card from your parents, or you might have had maybe parents hoping to pay for. Phone bill. Yeah, a, mm-hmm. like I a supported. phone. I was yeah. supported, yes. Right, so like, <laughs> it wasn't like you were like, you moved away, but right, right. you knew who your parents were. Correct. You had somebody to go to Christmas dinner with. Yes. I was talking to a young person who was on his own, who was homeless, who was a foster kid. He was 17 and he had gotten into college and he had found a way to work for himself and do all these things by himself. And then he was talking about he didn't know what to do. He had a little studio and he was going to go away to college. um, But he didn't really make enough to pay for the studio, which was $350 a month to keep it year round. But he would have no place to go you know when there times at St. Thomas when the dorms closed and mm-hmm. you had to be out like you don't think about that but if you're in the foster care system and you end up being an adult and out on your own
0: um it's scary and it's and it's
3: lonely yeah it's scary and it's lonely mm-hmm. um you know and so so I was in a number of homes and I ended up in this weird little I mean my family's amazing the Lishradels are amazing but I ended up in this Irish and German family in the Pacific Northwest And the town was crazy. I was the only black person in the town, and their claim to fame is they have the largest population of Ku Klux Klan west of the Mississippi. And so I grew up as the only black kid in this all-white town, and they were crazy. They were racist. I mean, like cross burning. Got sent home in eighth grade for my own protection because the students locked arms and started chanting "kill the" and and um and wouldn't let anybody through. Three hundred white kids against one me and i was wearing like a white skirt and a yellow cashmere sweater and i was like hi so i like violin i was so like i took ballet i was like i wore matched pearls i was like such a little i was like hi so what i was so not like rugged and then you know the fact is i went to i got sent away i i got sent basically to boarding school for ninth grade and i literally walked up to the first young black people i ever met <laughs> I did never, you get sent away because of danger uh, because of danger yeah for okay. my own and but Yes, and mm-hmm. so, but it was kind of crazy. My mom is kind of crazy. At, well, she's dead now, but it turned out that I was an I was a very underprotected child. <laughs> That'd be the, that would be the understatement of it. It turned out that I was wildly underprotected and under, I, I was not so much under-resourced in terms of material goods, but I was wildly under-resourced when it came to anybody who actually cared or protected me as a human. Mm-hmm. And so I... Uh, I ended up living my mom grew up during the depression and the like she was much much older and so the the woman who adopted me and she she was very 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 catholic and very conservative and very super smart but like very um it was nutty. I just, it's it's called, like, like the, the whole thing was nutty. Like, it, it was crazy. But anyway, I got sent away to live as a nanny with a family in Seattle that I paid for my room and board at age 13 by nannying for a single mom who was gone all the time for her 8 and 10-year-old when I was 13. So oh, I was, I, I came home from school and the way I kept my room was to take care of these two kids whose mom was always gone and everybody just thought it was normal that like this 13 year old would be doing this which now I think about it it was completely insane like nothing about it was normal like it was insane um and so you know I met my first black people when I was 13 and I was like hi you're black I'm black too and they literally picked me up and put me in a locker and closed it and I I still have I I was left in there for a couple hours. If you ever oh been locked gosh. in a locker for a few hours? It's not a pleasant thing. You end up very claustrophobic, and it's kind of traumatic. And so, you know, I had attempted suicide four times before I was 16 years old. Like, I did not fit anywhere. I did not belong anywhere. I was not black. I was not white. I did not belong anywhere. And the one thing I knew was that people deserve to feel as though they belong. They really deserve to be – and, like – to be honest, you guys, I don't know. I feel like you guys kinda like me. Like you think like God Bernita's fun, right? They're not kind of. We love you. Right, right. You're so, awesome. But I was this way when I was fifteen. Like I I haven't changed all that much. Like, You've so, always
2: been like very welcoming, very upbeat. Like, right.
3: So yeah, right. So, you know, in, in a different community. Like, for instance, if I had been raised, say, in uh middle class, upper middle class a more multi-ethnic community where I was actually allowed to be the sort of biracial person that I was, I would have probably been the it girl, the pop, like I would have been because of my personality and I'm kind of outgoing and, you know. But in fact, I grew up in this space where I wasn't the standard of beauty. I was probably too smart. I was mouthy. I was smart. I was curious. I like science and technical things. I like, I, I taught myself COBOL in nineteen eight. Like, wow. I've always liked technology and things like that so like I probably wasn't a good fitter inner anyway um, a <laughs> fitter inner that's not a very technical term the fitter inner
2: I like that though we can we can work with that so you're saying more so it was the environment. That you were in, and it was out of your control. Obviously, there's completely you, could, yep. you couldn't have done anything about that. Right. But you're saying, looking back at it, it was the
3: environment that influenced a lot of the the pain or the absolutely the things you're yeah. feeling. It was how you know, and, and that's one of the things that it strikes me is that people will often say, "Well, you know, you know, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. Humans need other people to love them. We do. Period. Full stop. In fact, one of the core tenets of Arnie's tables work is that. It turns out we do everything we do is based on peer-reviewed neuroscience and under MRI scan, it turns out when people feel as though they do not belong, it, it lights up as though their brain lights up as though they are being physically punched. So the act of being rejected or not belonging actually leaves an imprint on the brain that physical abuse does.
2: Wow. What was the control for defining what uh, for someone who
3: didn't feel belonging, I don't. I it's a study. At, I can get you all that data, but okay. there, it's in a whole. It's a whole. It's yeah. out of Harvard, Stanford, and UCLA. Yeah, I'm curious and, on and, how they set that up. That and they awesome. and they set it up. I can't remember. It was like they it, they they had a whole control. It's it's like the 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 Dweck effect attacks uh, that it's if you assume. People are smart, they actually work less hard than if you tell them that they can learn anything and it's they've done these studies that are about peer review behavioral science about how how somebody like what are the best ways to make somebody change their behavior or those kinds of things and mm-hmm. but I just thought it was really interesting this need to belong is so and it completely bypasses the prefrontal cortex that's not what it lights up. It's not a rational thing it's much more in our hypothalamus and our lizard brain this mm-hmm. need to so it another thing is sort of attentional focus, then, so if we're nervous about who who's around us, like so I never had I wasn't adopted until I was eighteen years old, so i had to I had to deal with every couple of months a caseworker came to the house, and so they would come and they want to know if I liked it there and if I was happy, and I was like five, six, seven, and on the one hand, I really wasn't happy because I was being. Like I have scarves on my knees, and I lost all my hair in third grade because they called me names. It was horrible. And well, You lost your hair? Oh, my hair fell out. Yeah, I went bald. Um, Stress and... stressed. yeah. Really? Yeah, well, it was the kind of thing, like, I literally went to a school where, like, in seventh grade, a student dumped an entire box of white powder on me to make me white, and we both got sent to the principal's office, and she got sent back to class, and the principal um toyed with the idea of s- expelling me because and this is actually what my my middle school principal said if you weren't black this wouldn't have happened oh my gosh that's insane that's so yeah crazy. it's, <laughs> it's crazy. so i was kind of living in a world that wasn't nationally not na- natu- naturally rational, yeah. rational like yeah. like it was like because like i actually what i that's actually one of the jo- i was like because if you weren't like because You can't fault that reasoning because it's absolutely true. Like, you know, but the the idea that I would be, you know, so it was this kind of wacky world. And so the fact that I'm not completely screwed up is just kind of
0: right. And and what would you say was like the guiding light to help keep positive energy to help to help keep pushing you forward that
3: next step. So I'll be honest. Um, One of them is I don't like living under bridges. Okay. I like that I'm ambitious Not a dark place yeah I, and I mean that like literally like I, I think it'd be cold and miss like if I let them win if I actually lived my life as though I had no value the way they thought I had no value well at the end of the day that was gonna be I wouldn't have any value right like i am mm-hmm. so and sometimes the, the fact is I left home with, at age 16 with $5 in my pocket went to San Francisco met a boy on a wrong phone number. I kid you not. And we moved in, we fell in love and moved in on the first day and we were together 5 years. So like So you you
0: called someone by accident. Or you long called the number? Story, and and I'm, it was it, a it's number.
3: all yeah. it's it's too that would be its own podcast <laughs> okay. that whole thing how that all went down. But he was an amazing artist and yeah. It was we were together 5 years and it was like kind of
0: and when you went to when you came to San Francisco, mm-hmm. was that the first time you were able to feel community and feel belonged?
3: Yeah, in its own way. And I, I mean, like I remember walking down the street in San Francisco, and for the very first time, like being in a city that was big enough. And I was cute when I was young. <laughs> like, like I'm not 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 that I'm not. You're still cute uh, today. Like as an older, like and I'm very. Ha- my husband thinks I'm adorable. Like my husband's very happy. Um, but but the fact is, when I was like a model and I was young, like but I had not been. Quite frankly, if I'd look like I looked when I was young and had grown up like an upper middle class black family in Atlanta or something, I would have probably been a holy tear. Like, I would have been like the bitch on wheels because I had hair to my ass and like the 2020. Like, I would have been. I would have been. You'd have been some hot shit. I would have been some hot shit bitch, really. I would have been like. like I feel like that's kind of. You know, it's like, like, it was probably good that I was actually needing to be humbled that much because I might have been a little bit of a missed thing. Like, I hate to scare you
2: there. But we got some ad reads. What's your favorite mug in the house? My favorite
0: mug is the one that's clean. That's it? You just want a clean mug? Well, if it's clean and it also has the back pocket logo on it, that's pretty dope too. Right, right. That's ultra clean. That's the cleanest of types of
2: your favorite mug. That's shiny clean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A dirty back pocket mug would kind of suck. But at the same time, I'd probably use it if it had a baby Yoda logo on it. Right. So a dirty baby Yoda coffee mug would be better than any other mug in the cupboard. That's correct. Okay, yeah. I think everybody else should also get uh, our featured back pocket mug right now at metromugs.com. The Baby Yoda mug is 20% off right now. If you use code B-A-C-K-P-O-C-K-E-T for 20% off, that's com.
0: Decky Watts and Andy Meters have been working out at Alter Fitness for over a year. And if you want to come work out with us and have a blast doing it, well, we're offering you a free week.
2: Yeah, we'll get a free week for you on us. We can either work out in their Newey Dyna location or we can work out in North Loop in Minneapolis. You choose the time, or no, you choose the date. We choose the time. We're 5.30 a.m. workout guys. And if, and if you, we, I can squeeze in at 6.30. Yeah, Andrew can squeeze in at 6.30, but I'm really non-negotiable at 5.30. However, I would go like all five days or seven days or whatever. There's also performance yoga on Sundays at 9 a.m. We'll be there as well. Let us know if you want to come. DM us on on anything, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn. And then our email will be in the show notes. Embrace the North. Embrace
0: the North. The mighty, mighty,
2: mighty North. Mighty, mighty, mighty North. That's like some of our chants that we do at uh, at the lake, Cedar Lake, every Sunday. Uh, you'll catch us uh, starting our hype a group from, from the lake, submerged for about 10, 15 minutes every week. Join us there. Embrace the North with us.
0: us. 1 p.m. Cedar Lake. Embracing the North.
2: Yeah. We'll see you there. We'll see you there. See you there. (laughs) Think about think about that, though, goes back to what you're saying, like you're kind of a product of your environment to to some degree, not saying that you like would go back and wish upon the same environment you had originally. Right. But it's the same reason why you wouldn't say you wish you were living in Atlanta, like in most in the majority of rap videos or something like because you could have made
3: it. (laughs) Right. And and actually, I would have been like, so so the rap video girl is kind of a different like I would have been like, who like I'm trying to think like
2: bougie as hell. Yeah, I would That's have why been, I uh, said Ravio. I was like, eh, money is bougie.
3: I'm really bourgeois. I'm very bourgeois. <laughs> and no, I would have been much more like daddy I would have had a debutante ball. Like I would have been that yes, girl. okay. I would have been a Jack okay. and Jill girl, Got debutante it. ball, like mm. I'm going to my HBC. Like I would've yeah. Yeah. Does anybody watch the show Grownish ever? I have not. No. Watch Grownish. Okay. I would have been Zoe. Gotcha. Okay. Watch it. You'll and then when we talk about getting like come back and be like okay I get yeah, it yeah. you would have been Zoe perfect. okay just yes we'll follow up yes. I like this I would have been Zoe yeah.
2: okay so you get to San Francisco you find some community um, for the first time ever mm-hmm. um, you meet a boy yeah, I meet, meet a boy I need a boy mm-hmm. off of I become
3: a nude model for an art college which was actually very painful I have to say that like have you ever sat in like one position naked cold like in one position for three hours it actually sounds like it would be an easy job but it's a really hard job for so many oh, reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, like if a mosquito comes by, you can't move. But also like you think you've chosen a position that's really comfortable. Right. And then you discover any position that you take for three hours is not very comfortable. Not comfortable. Right. Yeah. I can't it's even
0: like, sit still for right. 10 minutes here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. So that's one of those things. So, so anyway, so, and I got a job at a radio station. Yeah. So my, that's kind of where I started my life and my career. Um, really started cooking there. That was where um, I had this crazy neighbor who I had a neighbor who lived across the hall from me. Can I say this on like yeah. so I had this neighbor, Ron, who was really cool, but he lived across the hall from me. I lived in this little studio apartment in Piedmont, which is in the Oakland Hills on the border of Berkeley. And uh the fact is he uh he translated Russian for the government. That was his job. He body built, translated Russian for the government, and had a refrigerator full of drugs all right of all different wrong shout, shout out Ron! like yeah, yeah. and I was like a 17 year old boy so he was like this so he gave me money he was he made a lot of money and I was a really good cook mm. so creative goods I made dinner for like the whole floor every night. Everybody would give me money. I would do all the shopping and I would cook for everybody night, which was good because I only made $92 more than what my rent was. And so I had like a little side hustle that I was a good enough cook that everybody in the building was like, yeah, like what was it? I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm thinking of, you know, fettuccine and clams tonight. And they'd be like, I'm down. I'm in for $10. And then we would all eat collaboratively. I would do the cooking. I would do the, like they would all do the dishes, but I would do all the shopping and the cooking, which was kind of my first table if you will yeah absolutely that's
0: the table
3: (laughs) so we would all hang out because ron's uh, my apartment was a little studio so i would cook at my apartment but then we would all eat at ron's because he had the three-bedroom apartment and he lived alone and so he had an office and like his workout weight room and Mm -hmm. then he had a big living room and dining room and so we would all hang out over there and he would light up you know
2: little joints little here and those beef and I was
3: seventeen and like, why not? <laughs> this seemed like a good like a good exchange and it wasn't icky. Like it wasn't like older guy living across the hall. Like it was like I cooked. He had a like it was yeah, it it's... was all very cool. It mm-hmm. was very like I realize now that I probably just got lucky. I found like this weird little community that I yeah. that was all really pretty safe and pretty wholesome that like it could have all gone very bad for a 16 year old, 17 year old girl not knowing anybody. Yeah. Ron doesn't look like a great guy on paper. But he was. But he sounds like an awesome guy. He was an awesome guy. And no. I mean, and we would talk about, like. and Susie was the cool lesbian who lived down the hall with the four cats, and she turned me up, like, it, it her older sister with the two kids, single kids upstairs, and we all hung out together. And it was like so this, cool. it was like a community, and I kind of lucked into it. It was, yeah. but they protected me to some degree. We were all multicultural, we all hung out together. I was the youngest of the group, but Uh that didn't seem to matter. And yeah, we ate together, we hung out together, we were, and it was just, and I've lived in a couple pockets
0: like that with the diversity with the the kind of the band of misfits if you will yes the merry
3: band of misfits i'm a very i'm i i'm very big into the island of broken toys yes like i i am that girl i am the queen of the island of broken toys and when you
0: were like uh i guess this was the first time that you experienced it but then in the next few times that you were able to feel these parts of these types of communities um feeling included and feeling like an awesome sense of energy when you guys were able to exchange just a night around the dinner table. Where did you start finding the inclination to start this type of environment for yourself?
3: Well, it was actually, it's more what happened, you know, so I, I started working when I was 17 years old. I've been self-supporting since then. And I've had a number of careers and uh, did you guys read outliers? I did. Okay. So, so this idea that 10 out 10,000, is Outliers the 10,000 Hours of Experience? Yes. Uh, yes, it is. Okay, good, Because yeah. I always forget there's another Malcolm Gladwell, like... Um, David and Goliath, is a similar one. Yeah. The one about... I'm, I'm also a connector, like the, mm-hmm. the one about if you go spread the message to seven... Like, it, they did a test where they went out and said, we want to get this message across the country mm-hmm. and they want to see how it dispersed. Um, and, like, they found that You're removed from six people? A lot? No, but it was 70% of the messages went through one tailor in one little town. And it actually kind of proved that during, like, everybody knows the name of Paul Revere, um, but nobody knows the name of the guy who went the other direction when Paul Revere said the British were coming, the British were coming, Mm -hmm. was because Paul Revere had people like in every little town like in one town he knew the blacksmith in another town so he actually had networks that he could activate as he went and the other guy who was a town crier nobody knows his name because he had no networks to activate so he's been lost to the. and so but Outliers has this whole theory that you need 10,000 hours of experience to become expert at anything Mm -hmm. so my career is 10,000 hours of experience that I needed to create the table at the time I didn't know I was building it but that's what I was doing so the first 10,000 hours Experience I have was being outside the ring of love. Gotcha. And I really think being outside the ring of love taught me so much. It made me stop and think it was like the little schema I showed you with uh, this person is fat and this person is skinny and this person is pretty and this person thinks they're homely and this person is rich and everybody's thinking that somebody else has got this community. Yeah, wait,
2: can we paint the actual picture of what the ring of love is? I think that's such a good, like.
3: So why don't you tell me? Because tell it back to me. See if I did how well I did teaching it to you. Okay,
2: okay. So everyone listen up here. So imagine there's a circle and outside of the circle are little dots. You're looking at this from an eagle eye view. Um, each dot is a different person. So one of the dots could be, you know, the white stand-up comedian who, you know, his parents, you know, paid for most of his life, like covered him most of his life. Very blessed kid. The next kid could be Marita. The next person could be uh, an obese person that, you know, doesn't really have a lot of self-confidence. And then right next, right next to that person is maybe like Dave Chappelle, someone who has all kinds of uh, all kinds of confidence. And then maybe an oriental person who is a foreign exchange student from China. Right. We're all outside looking in, not really looking to our right, not like necessarily looking to our left, but we're looking in, feeling like we're kind of behind glass doors. We're looking in feeling like we don't belong. But then when we each, was it, join hands?
3: Yeah. When we reach out just to our right and our left. When
2: we reach out to our right and our left, we realize that there's really not nothing inside there. In fact, we're the ring of love when we all connect.
3: Right. And, and then, that, and that what we're looking at is our own images and our own reflections on the outside. That It's like a hologram that yes. we're inside the room, but, but that's a misconception. Yeah, exactly. And so that's just, so the first 10,000 hours, I really think it was my seminal experience. What does it mean to not be valued, to not be wanted, to mm. not be loved, to have to, and to realize that, like, I, I, I really understood that, um, when I watched, like, I, I'm i always worried about people leaving me. So, like, that's a thing that I go through. Like, it's a, a thing. Like, we, like I sometimes worry more about somebody leaving me than whether they're treating me well, which is stupid, right? Because, like, there's some people you want to leave you because they're not worth your time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just reality, right? But, like, because I have this thing inside me, like, I have to re um push myself to remind myself like not all the people like my need to be liked maybe some people I should like not like <laughs> maybe they maybe they aren't healthy right mm-hmm. um so the first 10,000 the second 10,000 hours of experience I had was I worked in law firms and I worked in I, I got I got lucky I moved to San Francisco I moved to well, the Bay Area and the very first night I was there I turned on KYA radio this is actually a weird true story I turned on KYA radio and Dave Roberts was on um his real name is Dave Kelleher and he's a he he was a, a DJ in L.A., I mean, in San Francisco, but he was originally a DJ in Eugene, Oregon, when I was 15 years old. And when I was 15, I was a champion disco dancer. Oh,
2: that's the least shocking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> 19,
3: mid, 1978, baby. Ah, uh, freak out.
2: I'll show you. Uh, I have platform shoes downstairs. Oh, see, they're I could
3: have Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go out one night. Yeah. yeah platform, okay, good. yeah Let's do it. Let's do it. So. So I hear Dave on the radio and he's, and I call just like the request line and I'm like, Hey, it's Marnita from Eugene. And Dave, I had given Dave when I was 15 disco lessons in exchange. I got my, my third class radio license, my third class license with engineer's license with radio endorsement, which at the time you had to be, have one. I wanted to be a late night DJ when I was 15. I had this vision that I would be like. But listen to my voice, don't I sound like oh, you cross it? Yeah. C- couldn't you just hear me like at two in the morning, like, so I'm just putting on this Barry White? Like, <laughs> like I had this vision, like, I'd be like, like so kick back, spark a you know, like, like, and I had this vision of myself at age six, you oh, know, for like, sure, yeah, <laughs> that's
2: a phenomenal vision. I think it two in play. the morning,
3: <laughs> late night, like, you know, hanging with having musicians come in, you know, I wasn't so like, you know what I mean, like that was my vision, so mm-hmm. I decided, and you don't need any. like now they just have talent right mm-hmm. but it used to be that you had to know how to engineer your own shows like you so i got a third class with radio endorsement and i had to pass the engineer's license so i exchanged with this older dj he coached me to get me through my licensing at 15 and i gave him disco lessons i'm clearly a very good barterer mm-hmm. like one of the things you've learned about me right now is that i am like i bartered right like i I was like, food, disco lessons, like, what do I have of value? In fact, I think I've actually worked out a similar relationship with, like, with us. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pattern here, actually. Yes. I didn't realize until I was telling this story that this is actually clearly the way I add value. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, like, so that's, and exactly. I want to add value, right? So it's not just an extractive story, right? And it's right. not a story of like, yeah. like it's a story of like, here, what do I have valuable that I can exchange for what you have valuable? Yes. Which is something that people, by the way, in poverty have had to do. Mm-hmm. If you don't have money, you have to figure out what you have to offer besides money, right? Like if you don't have the money, what what could you offer? And so I call up Dave and Dave says, um, oh my God, it's so good here. Come on down. So I go have lunch with him. Like I'm in San Francisco for, I'm in Oakland for less than like 20 hours. I go have lunch with him the next day and he walks me, he introduces me around the station, he takes me through a tour, he takes me over to the, program director and says well what do you think and alan says i really like her and he goes can you start tomorrow and i'm like what and he they had a receptionist who had just been promoted to traffic and they had an opening as the recept like for a receptionist and they needed somebody like the next day who understood a little bit about radio and and dave knew i did and (laughs) they hired me (laughs) and And later, like, uh, the job had just been posted and they just hired me because I was friends with Dave. And, like, people were coming in with, like, PhDs in communications, like, trying to get this job. It was all just luck and contacts. And I was responsible every day. I will never... Do you ever heard the song, Pina Colada song? Oh, yeah. Do you like... So I I was at KY Radio when that record was, like, brought in for airplay. Like, I remember, like, they were in the music listening room and I remember the first time I heard that song. Anyway just random ag myself but but that my next ten thousand hours of experience was about office management mm. how did you treat people when they came in the door like what it was it all and all the different aspects of a business you know like accounting and uh, revenue and you know the radio station was actually a pretty good model for a lot of the things i've done later but after that, I went on to law firms and other things. So I got 10,000 hours of actual office management experience. Like how do you run stuff to mm-hmm. to actually and, and maybe learn a little about contracts and HR and things like that. And then my next 10,000 hours of experience is when at age 24, I aged out of working as an admin. I could only make cost of living raises by the age of 24. There was no way for me to stay doing what I was doing. And making anything more than like 3% more a year, every year for wow. the rest of my life. And I was kind of like, well, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Mommy, did I mention the bourgeois thing? <laughs> did I mention mommy likes shoes <laughs> and expensive <laughs> bubbles <laughs> and dinners out? If you've never seen me order at a restaurant, I... Of course. I, I'm... A, Two of those, one of those, we should feast. I'm that girl, and Shout so out hobon for bringing Hoban, us together. Yes, hobon. Which had twice we've had our our hobonity. Mm-hmm. Oh, the hobonity. Um, <laughs> that that I so I switched and I went into high end hospitality public relations,
1: mm-hmm.
3: working for. Um, representing high-end hotels and resort Lowe's hotels in fact I was in the room I don't know if you've ever seen the picture of Bill Clinton um playing the saxophone yeah in a hotel that was at the Lowe's hotel in the presidential suite in Santa Monica um and I ran PR for that company I I, I was a junior person on that account I was not the senior person on that account you're part of the team I was on the team and Mm -hmm. like by the way it's the junior people that they send to go schmuck about things so of <laughs> so that's why here go go meet these people and remember he was running for office he was not the president at the time he oh. was he was just out on a campaign swing so he was not the president at the time um that became picture became iconic later but in fact that was just when he, it wasn't even before, I think it was before the primaries that that happened. So, Gosh, yeah. so like the fact that I, I, he was nobody, he was just like some guy from, like some former governor of Arkansas that was like, have like, oh, the press is going to be in the room. Wow, it's this guy's good. pretty good saxophone. yeah. Right. So that was, <laughs> so it was kind of, but anyway, but, um, representing really upscale. So I learned everything about the hospitality industry. Um, Did you ever cross paths with the Ritz-Carlton? I have not ever repped the Ritz, okay. but I know the Ritz really. I mean, I love the Ritz. I stay at the Ritz. I Gotcha. Why? My Why? parents both
0: worked at the for the Ritz-Carlton. Oh. Mm-hmm. That would have been oh, funny the... if you had a small interaction
3: with them. Maybe. Well, I actually... Well, uh, So, my one of my nephews got married at the San Francisco Ritz. Okay. Um, I stay at a couple different Ritzes. I have a few favorite Ritzes around the yep. country. There, there was go. the Ritz in... Beaver Creek uh, yes. had a Spago in it, yes. which is Wolfgang uh, Barbara Lazaroff, okay. um, who was married to Wolfgang for 30 years, is my son Elijah's godmother and my, one of my best friends. I met her when oh. I was 19. So I came out of it. So I was also in LA at the beginning of, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but the United States was not into food until like 19. It was the food movement out of, LA, you know, LA and Alice Waters out of uh, Berkeley. Um, Wolf, Piero Salvaggio There was this group of uh, <laughs> just were they
2: like the original foodies?
3: The original foodies, Jonathan Waxman, all these guys that were. I mean, they're legendary You know, Jeremiah Tower, like these guys that are now legendary in the food. Like they were the the grand masters. Um. Mm-hmm. And I was around during that time and that was when I started really getting into food and really understanding food and really caring about food and stuff. And so so again, 10,000 hours of experience. What is hospitality? What does it look like to make people feel you know, I think that's one of our strong connections, right? Like, yes. we yes. have our comedy thing, but we have our hospitality. hospitality By 100%. the way, if, oh, I guess we're streaming this, so those of you who might just be listening to this later, I'm waving my hands at Andrew, and then I'm waving my hands at Decky. <laughs> over there and over there.
2: Yep. And we're, sh- and we're shimmying when she waves <laughs> yeah. her hands at us. It's like just really it cool yeah. synergy. We're, sy- it's like we're just in <laughs> a, little,
3: a little movement there. Yeah. We're feeling the movement.
2: Yeah, this is the late night DJ that we're talking about.
3: Yeah. But, yeah. Feel, the, feel
2: the vibe. <laughs> Operations. Feel the
1: vibrations.
2: Sit back, relax. Do and not let's ad- go for Marnita's ride. Exactly. Pew.
1: It, it,
3: well, well, you know. Remember, you know, I was around when you know, like Parliament was saying, like, "Do not attempt to adjust your radio. We've taken control. as to bring you the special show. We will return it to you as soon as you are grooving. Welcome to Station WEFUNK, better known as We Funk. Deeper still." the mothership connection <laughs> like, have you never heard that no oh my god oh my god okay so it's when we, electric. It, wait do you oh. okay i'm about to give you a gift of a lifetime when yes. this is over okay okay yes. so so like oh yeah oh 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 my god i cannot in fact i'm expecting you guys to text me after you like i like i can't believe you but you'll be like oh my god what have you done to us how, how did we not know this so anyway so um, we have hospitality. We have hospitality. Yeah. We have comedy, and now we all have we Funk. Um, <laughs> so, the, the the next ten thousand hours was about hospitality, about engaging food and beverage, how food and beverage how important it was to swaying people to your mind. like literally how people I watched how many business deals were done at fine dining, how that. That social thing. Um, And then my next 10,000 hours, actually, when I left there, I actually went in. I became the the, first the director and then the vice president of corporate communications and media relations for a company called Hemdale. And we won back to back Oscars for Platoon and the Last Emperor. And um, we did. We were sort of the Miramax of the eighties. So, um, Hoosiers, Salvador, um, like <laughs> let's just say, go look up Mayhemdale films. Um, and by the time I got there, they were kind of on the descendant. And, and in fact, they ultimately went bankrupt because the president and the CEO both embezzled. Like, <laughs> it was really bad. So it was my, the Hoosiers like uh, the baseball, b- uh, no, basketball, basketball, right? basketball? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Gene Hackman. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, like some of the like. like <laughs> Salvador if you ever right mm-hmm. you know, like like these were really big movies, awesome I, movies. Yeah. and the independent not not like the Pixar, although yeah. although and the first and the first the first Terminator actually wasn't nearly as it was much more independent and edgy than sort of like now we think of the Terminator franchise as being this James really Cameron, s- the big high, this, real, this I'm sorry this yeah. really slick thing but it mm-hmm. sorry anyway. so there again another ten thousand hour of his experience was also a little bit about this the the literally the showbiz of relationships the showbiz of perception and those kinds of things so but through all these experiences a couple things were happening and, and they they were the through line of say 50,000 hours of experience so first often um, white people would say to me things like well we first it was like you're different than other black people and I wasn't actually around any other black people and I'd never understood any critical race theory like I hadn't been exposed to any of those thoughts and so i I didn't know to actually turn around and say, What the hell are you talking about? Like, do you know any black people? And what makes me? Um, and then as I aged out of that, so I, you know, I started realizing I called it debate. Like, so, well, what makes me different? Well, you speak so well. You're so intelligent. You're not a drug addict. It was like, So you're really saying that to you, being black is somebody who is still ignorant can't speak. And is a drug addict, okay, like what does that have to do with my melanin content? And exactly like, like that is just such a wacky thing. But as I was in corporate environments and in these work environments, the number one thing I heard, cause I was always the only woman there. And I was the only, oh, always the only person of color often in many of these rooms was, well, we'd hire more women or we'd hire more people of color if we could find more like you it was this constant thing so I had like 40,000 hours of hearing that all the people that just kept saying well we just can't find anybody and I decided at some point in my 40s I had got I had already decided after Hemdale, and I started my own company that I started a company called Words on Fire Communications and I decided that a couple things I was really tired of helping really 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 rich white men hide their abuses um (laughs) and in the case of Hemdale, the fact is like they were actually literally embezzling money. And my job as head of communications was to say nothing to see here. (laughs) You know, like, so I, it was kind of unclean. Like I did not really, and I had a, I had a five month old, you know, like I couldn't just leave my job. Like I couldn't just be like, I just have really too much morals. Like to, like it was my job as that. And that didn't feel good. That didn't feel okay. And I started already observing even Twenty-two years ago, or twenty-four years ago, that I didn't want to put things in landfill. That I already thought that we were overproducing things and over. this no like. I don't you ever look at like little. I don't know if you guys do. Do you ever look at like a little plastic thing that comes from like McDonald's that they're you know giving away for nineteen cents or something and thinking like that costs more than nineteen cents. Mm. Like that. That like to extract the 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 things that made that and to ship it and to do all the things that. Put Got it, it here, yeah. And then, and, and, and then only 20 of them are going to be used and the rest are going to go into landfill. Like, yeah. like, I think we need to start having some conversations about that without being um, accused that we're being crazy for wanting to have a conversation about that. Right. So I decided um, in my early 40s that when what I wanted to do was, I wanted to only accept clients and accounts that created good in the universe like i think you guys create good in the universe that's why i'm willing to help you in your endeavor i believe you're wanting to build this really cool platform out not just for very resourced very wealthy people and to help give platform more of a platform to people who have voices i think you want to do this for people who don't have voices and my hat i'm taking it off to you thank you thank you for that awesome i think that's really important that's why i'm offering to be reciprocal with you Mm -hmm. i also think we can teach each other things i actually think that's a society of learning a society of growing we're not we might piss each other off sometimes we might say things that hurt each other or out of line i just want you guys to know that you can always say to me like i don't appreciate or like that's not that's what it's supposed to look like when you actually are engaging in an equitable relationship you know so i was looking at i was already thinking about didn't want to put any more things in landfill didn't wasn't really all that excited about helping already polished people look better and that was really my job like I helped my president like presidents that I worked with and stuff sometimes they they wouldn't read the speech and I would literally have I've have ever seen those movies like the, the newscast movie where like there's where the person, like the producers in the back and the handsome girl or guys in the front and they're just saying whatever, kind of pipe a, in and everything. They're pipe. I, I used to pipe in. Like I mm-hmm. literally would be sitting there saying, and now you should say, you know, and I remember just getting called into an office for one of the corporate client, from one of my companies I worked for and having the president say, we've decided we're not, like we're not gonna pay 100% of benefits for our employees and their families anymore. We need you to write a press release why this is good for the employees and I remember going back to my office and he was like you know because it makes it gives them independence and control over their health care and it was like no they just lost 20 percent of their earnings like it does not help them in any way like but it was my job as head of communications for this for-profit publicly traded company to actually go explain why that was really good for the employees when the president had just just decided to give himself a $4 million rate, like, you know, it like that kind of thing. Like, and it was especially when you know everything behind it, I know, go and paint a different picture. Right. And it, and it just felt, it, it, yeah, it, it gross. gross. It Mm -hmm. felt gross. And I think a lot of people are living in that world right now. Um, I, you know, we see it at the table where people are feeling, we hear a lot about what would make people feel better or well or healthy. And one of them is like, you know, so many of us are feeling like if we don't work 40 hours, you know, if we don't work 20 hour days that somehow and it's one thing to do like what we do like I work a lot of hours because I'm building something that Mm -hmm. I want to build for myself and by the way I did the first and we're we're now 15 years into Mernita's table for the first 10 years I words on fire my other consultancy I ran as a full-time job while I was building the table because it made for 10 years for 10 years so like Mm -hmm. like I did another full-time job for 10 years so I was working you know probably 90 to 100 hours a week, every week, you know, sleeping three or four hours a night. Because, you know, so the, it, it takes this commitment and dedication. But here is the thing. I kept getting this, the same message kept coming over and over. I was in rooms constantly, only brown person. All these people kind of saying, well, you know, if we knew more, if we met more. Blah, blah, blah. And I had this little opportunity. This person came to me who ran a nonprofit in town and she said there's a little grant it was $2,500 and she said it's a she worked it was a national organization and there were 24 chapters around the country and they were giving three of their 24 chapters $2,500 to try and do something around diversity and inclusion and my friend who was the exec director came and said hey you know um would you like to write a proposal for what you would do for $2,500 and I said, why don't we do Dinner and Dialogue? And it was a high-tech nonprofit that was wanting to get more people of color um, to be members. And I said, well, why don't I just go out and find, like, what you have 15 people. Why don't I go out and find 15 people of color who are all in the high-tech industry? And instead of trying to convince them, like doing a presentation, why don't we just have a dinner? And I we called it "Light Bulb." what turns you on? And the idea was not to have a – it wasn't about what – physically turned you on but what in in intellectually ignited your interest and Mm -hmm. the whole conversation about what what made you decide to give like if you were gonna what if you were gonna be on a board of a charity what would make you want to do that like if you were gonna give away your services what would ever make you do that or to pull out your checkbook or ten dollars and put it in a like what would make you do that with the idea being that the people in the room then they weren't it wasn't the nonprofit getting up in front of the room, giving a pitch like, you should. It was the, I was trying to mimic the way that all the white people had gotten on the board, right? The white people hadn't gotten the on the board by being pitched to, right? They'd gotten on the board by, you know, you and I sitting by, you know, like, oh, hey, Marnie, I think you might be interested in that. Oh, I'm, like, it, they'd really gotten. Recommending, yeah. Rec- yeah exactly kind of,
2: but like also through conversation and just like relationship to, organically. Yeah, organically. yeah
3: organically through relationship right where suddenly like i kept getting invited to be on boards like people would literally say well you're black and we need a couple more black members on the board. like not we need a couple people on the board who are really good you know strategic thinkers or mm-hmm. really
2: researchers or, or research, like, yeah. like like
3: like i think you've figured out already that i'm a strategic thinker right yes. like and so like i don't want to be on a board just because you think I'm black, and that's why you want me on your board because you think you should have some diversity on your board. You should want me on your board because I'm going to move it forward. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
3: You should want me on your board because you know I'm passionate about your mission. I tell people all the time, I want you to give to things that you really believe in that you're passionate about. Like, I, I, if you come and you decide you don't want to donate to my organization because you're just not into bringing people together across difference, I don't get it, but you don't have to be. Okay. Like, I was like, Okay, fine. If you just like community breaking out and really just don't care about where you live, okay, whatever. Like, I'm sorry, I'm, just, I'm really evil that way. <laughs> so, okay, so like I'm just throwing a little shade on you, but okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> um, but but the fact is, I'm that really in 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 nonprofit world and donor world, you really only want people people who donate when I give to Planned Parenthood, re- women's, besides what I do, bringing people together, women's reproductive health is my other, if Planned Parenthood came to me and said, I want you on my board, or like, I would probably be on that board. But like a, a big arts board or whatever, i feel like, yeah, there's so many people who are into the arts. Like, mm-hmm. go find some other cool people of color who want to be on an arts board. Whole right. bunch of them. Like, like I have different interests and, and actually know who I am and know about who I am from sitting with me. So we did this thing. We got the little grant. Um, and, Have you ever noticed like on boxes? have, Have you ever noticed? I always say this. Have you ever noticed on a box where it says like, do not poke in your eye and it's like a match? And you realize when you read it on the box that the only reason it's on that box, because there's not very much written on that box, is that somebody who's actually taken that match out and poked it in their eye and actually sued because there was no message on the box that said, don't poke that in my eye. I have a joke about this. Do Uh, you? Okay. Because this is my, this is one of my riffs. I can riff on this too. So maybe we should just riff back We should riff. Yeah. No,
2: the, uh, what do they call them? Q-tips. Yes. You're not supposed to stick them in your ear. It says it on
3: the box. What do you think I'm going to do? Like, it's
2: the dumbest thing of all time. It's
3: like, it's like, it, and you know, like really a Q-tip is not supposed to go in my ear. Are you, are you, who are you messing with on that? Well, they
2: like, here's an electric bike. You you have to put a helmet on if you're going to ride it. I've never seen anybody
3: ride like a lime scooter with a helmet on. If I did, I'd probably laugh at him, to be honest. Exactly So these are the kinds of things So like So you know at least Lime when they do it That's about their liability Like yeah, they have to say they do it. Exactly But when I see it On a box of matches Because there's no Unearthly reason Why you should be Sticking a match Into your eye yes. um, That you know That somebody has actually Stuck a match In their eye mm. And I, I don't remember Why I even started that There was a reason I went down that road Where was I? You were talking. I was. I see. Sometimes I start my thing and then I go. I go. I go off on a tangent. There's an analogy there. There's there was a, there's an, analogy. an analogy. We'll get back to it. I'll remember in the middle of the next story. Okay. But like I sometimes, just so you know, my personality type is. I sometimes like I see a really well object like a really well lit like I think it's a side path that will will bear some really important insight into what I'm about to say, mm-hmm. and in the middle of that path i realize. Like, i think it's a well-lit path that's going to take me right back to the main road and suddenly like i realize, like i'm in the wilderness and like there's like some like, there's I, can, a like woo, I can hear the wolf howling and <laughs> i realize i turn around there's no lights i can't even find the road i was on to get back to the main road and i'm like yeah. how did that happen that happens to my brain all the time but isn't that kind of cool how like a
2: conversation i andrew and i have been talking about this a lot of how a conversation um, even a podcast in a sense, is just like an undistracted conversation But a conversation is just a riff like I'm doing my best to listen to you and your story figuring out where you're trying to go and then when it's my turn to talk now It's my turn to riff and then connect to what you're saying and we're just doing this back and forth for hours and hours and hours and, hours. and then when you go back and listen to it like a podcast we're actually arriving
3: to a point even though we're not really realizing it right and when you just said that, I remembered what the point was. So, so Beautiful. this this client. So, so we did, and we were supposed to do, and to understand like the business model that we have. When we started doing this, people wanted to only pay for the food and beverage on the table. They didn't want to pay for my time. They didn't want to pay for the workers. They thought everything should be voluntary, um, which was really an unfair thing particularly since like I came out of foster like I didn't have any savings like even though I'd made it in corporate America and one thing is about my little story in corporate America when I left that company um, there were 14 of us that were all senior leaders at the organization I was the only woman and I was the only person of color and I left when I left I discovered that all the men were making $250,000 a year or more and I was making 60 and the interesting thing about it was when I actually went to the president and said like what was that about and he said well you didn't ask And I didn't even know to ask, right? Right? Like, and so I look at that, like the two and a half years I spent there. um, If I'd been making, like, that would have been a whole lot of savings, like to start something on my own. Like, and so, so when we talk about some of these issues about social justice and women not being paid the same, I'm like, like, that's what it looks like, right? And really learning that sometimes, like, so, um, There are things that like when we're moving through these spaces that we don't know. And so that was one of the things that that for me was really interesting when I left the organization and started my own thing. Um, And in fact, when my husband, who's an amazing guy, Carl, we've been together 18 years. When he joined my company, his purpose basically was he was kind of Remington Steel, which meant like I was actually the brains of the business and really did most of the stuff. And he's amazing. But when he joined my business, even though I had he was more. I was the lead. We were able to charge double because I had a white man as a partner. Wow! Oh, literally, my rates went up overnight, double, with no difference in the work. Wow! It was congrats. Kinda, it, it was pretty cool. <laughs> kind of played the system a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I yeah. And, but he was really funny because he's pretty feminist, and so like like they would ask like. White guys would just ask him questions, and then he would physically turn his entire body, lean in, and go like, "So, Marnita, how are we gonna sol- How are you gonna solve that?" Like, he kept making a point, like, "You do know you keep asking me these questions, and I keep turning to her because she's the like he's she's like the answers. He's, yeah. She's the answers. I run operations. Like, yeah. I make sure that her runway is clean. Like, I make <laughs> sure that things aren't on the runway when she takes off. But like, the jet."
2: figure it out she's the braids
3: she's the jet like <laughs> and he's a genius he's the man is amazing he speaks reads pieces and writes fluent mandarin and lived in asia for 17 years wow. he has his own like you he probably he's amazing so like he he's not a, he's a very bright person yeah, shout out but, carl shout out to my husband carl he's amazing but But the reason I was telling that was that this particular thing that the second time we did their dinner for them, um, we did two dinners for them. And the second time, so the idea is the board had to be in the room to meet the people, right? They, we went out, we found it. They called me the morning of the table that we had been putting together for two months. So we had a contract that said what the table cost and everything, but we had no clause in it that said um, what. They, they called and said, we're going to have to do it a different day. None of our board members want to come. But the food had all been bought. All the brown people had been invited. Like, everything had... Everything like, was in order. Your ducks were in a row. Right. And so... But we had no clause in our contract that said they couldn't cancel. Like, and so mm. there was kind of this, they're like, you'll need to do another one for us. And like, so that was one of my point was, is that though that was the very first time we had to put in a contract, like, okay, like in our contracts, it actually says once we announce an event, you, it, if you want to cancel it, you can't like, you're still paying for it. You, if you don't want to be in the room, you don't have to be there. But, but once it's out, we have never canceled an event. Um, and in fact, we were up at St. Ben St. John's one night, it was 30, it was like, I don't know, 15 below with the wind chill was, I think 30, negative yeah. 30 and everything on campus was canceled. And we said, we really can't cancel because we don't know. We don't, and because we have so many people in poverty that come mm. and rely on Traveling. food, like, mm-hmm. tra- like, like if, if the, if the people who came with the young woman in the wheelchair had come and we had,
1: decided not
3: been there there, getting out of the car just think about that for a second like and we decided because it was so cold that we weren't going to do it and they got like there's no way for us to get back to people sometimes because we literally invite people and they don't always like that woman had an rsvp Mm -hmm. so like we would have no way and wouldn't that be and she came from the cities like that was like you know you know so like that's the kind of thing like so they just wanted to cancel and so we ended up having to give them another one because we had no term in our contract and uh, the other one that was like that was we worked for a school district and it turned out there was all sorts of they wanted to know what the people in the school thought of them and we learned all these um, really intense things one mm-hmm. of which we learned that um we it was a, a it's a western suburb but not a suburb it's two hours away from the cities that way and um they had because it's a small town and a, 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 a community that the bus service is really expensive. They actually put people from kindergarten to high school on the same buses. Mm. And it turned out that the high school boys were making the middle school Latinx boys fight each other on YouTube video under threat of sending, um, ice to their families, um, in the, in the trailer parks they lived in. And here's the thing. Most of them, were American citizens and documented but maybe an uncle like nobody wants ICE to show up at their house at two in the morning right so these kids in middle school were fighting with each other for the high school boys who were putting it up so when we reported it to the school district the middle school principal said that's not my problem and then they wanted it redacted from their report so we then had to put in our contracts that when we were brought in to bring the community in that we weren't really there for the client We were there for the community Mm -hmm. so that like that when we were being brought in, we aren't being brought in to put paint on the face of an organization. We're being brought in because they authentically want relationships with hard to reach people who aren't normally in the room. So as we have grown in this practice of what it means and what it looks like. And really, one of my biggest ideas about it was I really started understanding social capital.
0: We've gotten some feedback that ad reads come a little bit aggressively, so we're going to insert a preemptive here comes the ad reads
2: so here comes the ads this is decky dark chocolate mocha and this is andy almond milk latte and if you follow us on instagram you've probably seen that we have some pretty sweet back pocket branded mugs brought to you by
0: metro mugs you see metro mugs creates mugs that inspire conversation and we think that's pretty neat they've partnered with the back pocket to help us create our own line of mugs that show off who we are and to give you, our beautiful inter- marketing interns, the opportunity to share the back pocket with the next person you grab a cup of joe with, which we really appreciate.
2: Yeah, and because we selfishly want you to have one of our mugs in your cupboard or on your desk at work so you can spread the good average word of back pocket, Metro Mugs is offering an insanely above average discount to make that happen. Head to metromugs.com and use code back Pocket. that's B-A-C-K-P-O-C-K-E to receive 20% off your first order that's code backpocket at metromugs.com hey sorry this is uh this is a time for an ad break but we don't actually have any advertisers willing to pay for this spot so if you if you want to put have a talk and say sweet nothings about your company say no more
0: you can take this spot and listen and, and eliminate me just filling time and space yeah, if you really want, you know, the back pocket guys to stumble over your ad rates and, you know, do it as wildly average as possible, you know, send us a note at the back pocket podcast at com, something like that. It'll be
2: like really choppy, pretty average. But I mean, we're going to be talking about your brand. So I think that might be OK. Yeah. And there's
0: some people that are listening that want to know your brand. Yeah. We just want to help you out. That's yeah. all.
2: Over a year ago, we started going to these panel discussion networking events called Lincoln Drink. They're now on their eighth one. After their 007 event in, in uh, last November, and they're coming in hot with a new panel discussion March 18th at the freaking Walker, dude. It's insane how far they've come.
0: They have an awesome setup over in the uh, in that glass room overseeing all of the skyline of Minneapolis. Yeah. It's gorgeous. 350 people this time, too. Whee! Get your tickets right now because they're selling
2: fast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think they've already sold over 100, which is sick. Um, I really hope to see you guys all there. Um, If you are there and you see us there, definitely come say hi and ask Andrew how his heartburn's going.
3: And, you know, and do you know fully what social capital is?
2: No, please explain.
3: Okay, so first of all, do you know what, if I said to you what financial capital is, would you kind of know what that is?
2: Mm, Financial capital? Yeah. Todd, do you
3: know what it is?
4: Yeah, it's just like the resources you have, so financial would be... Money Money So
3: just having assets Assets money Right But okay. we know what that is right Yeah So um, If I said intellectual capital Do you know what that is
4: Um, I would say like patents and stuff I'm
3: looking over here Because i have looking I'm just yeah. learning that the, the producer over here is like He's the brains
4: I even have my on camera now So yeah, I hey, can really It's kind of
3: awesome Cool I like that So Thank you
4: so, I- intellectual capital? I don't know. Just like the capacity to think. Like, you're a very strategic thinker, so that would be part of your intellectual capital.
3: Right. And also just the knowledge you hold. Like, you know, like
1: hmm,
3: like research and stuff. Research or the people you but, know, Even, or... hey, knowledge of football. You guys are both football players. Like, what that does that it mean point. to go into huddle? Like, right. that's intellectual capital, right? Okay. Understand? Well, you can't you, take that from me. You can't take that, right? You, you probably, when you watch football and you have a different understanding of what's happening on the sideline, right? That's intellectual capital. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's also social capital, but it's but it's also intellectual capital. So, like, there's just kinds of capital that we talk about a lot. Human capital—that's just labor, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you when you talk to an organization and say, "Oh, do you have human capital?" They just mean do you have bodies to get stuff done. But when, almost always, when you ask people social capital, do you know what it is? People kind of go, "Do you know Andrew?" Or do you have a
0: social capital? Mm-hmm. Um, I would assume something along the lines of the
3: environment that you're in or the way you interact with another person birds of a feather flock together apples don't fall far from trees it takes one to know one it's not who you know it's not what you know it's who you know two peas in a pod there are more expressions of social capital than all other type of capital combined but it's the one that we cannot talk about because it operates unseen around us it's kind of like carbon monoxide that if it doesn't have something in it to let you know it's there it your lack of it can kill you so social capital is really that thing when you're like, I don't know if when you guys were kids, did you ever go up to somebody and have like when you were a little kid, somebody say, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? Did anybody ever ask you that? Oh, yes. What'd you say? Uh,
0: NFL football player,
3: an NFL football player. And did you have any pathways to meeting an NFL football player or ever talking to somebody about that? What would what that would actually be like?
0: Uh, to an extent Not very
3: directly Okay yeah. but, but but you yes. somehow managed To get on a football team Correct And you went to college On a football scholarship Or uh, football To play football yes R- Right so mm-hmm. like So that's something You both have right So that's yeah. an experience You both had You used So probably somebody In high school Taught you how You could help Pay for your education Right Or how that could Help further your Like your uh, access yeah. To education Correct. right Yes So like that's Social capital yeah. Having that knowledge Well so middle class kids are not like when somebody says, what are you going to do this summer? And they say it to an eight-year-old and the eight-year-old says, well, I'm going to Concordia Language Camp because I plan to be a lawyer and blah, blah, blah. And then they say – and the person goes, oh, I'm a lawyer. Come to my office. Right? So yeah. this idea, when I really started looking at it, I had this unique – when I started really thinking about this work deeply and I kept hearing from white people that – and by the way, at this point, all these sorts of things, white privilege training and anti-racism training was – was happening everywhere but it wasn't being very effective when i talked to white men they were like oh i just don't believe there's white you're like or if they did they kind of didn't think they had it or they didn't have anything to do with it It they didn't see and i didn't really understand what the like first of all i actually think there's a construction a problem a problem with the idea of white privilege in the first place only because it sounds like we want to take away privilege as opposed to it if everybody has it, is it a privilege anymore? Like, like if, if we're given the benefit of the doubt, right? If we're not assumed to be guilty when we're walking down the street as a brown person, like, So you're saying
2: privilege to begin with, it should just, like, why are we even talking about it? We shouldn't have to talk about it is what you're saying. Right.
3: And and that should be the norm, right? So the fact that we call it privilege makes it sound like it's something we want to extract as opposed to something we want to implant for everybody or something that we should already have that we should already have like right so um and so i think there's some problems with that but the other thing i really looked at with the trainings was the way it was lighting up people's brains and so my observation was often i would go into rooms and it just made instead of looking at it in like wasn't your desire after last Thursday night to learn more about the food system? Yes. Yeah. Wasn't your desire to lean into that and to mm-hmm. like and recognize you didn't know anything like as much about it and you should know more about it. Like you leaned into it, right? right? Nobody made you feel stupid. Correct. Yes. You felt like you were heard and you were valued and you were seen. And like anything that you learned and added was welcomed.
2: Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As As dumb as it may have sounded or however it came off the tongue, like didn't really matter more so because you were in a space where it was accepted right and And, it was listened to also
3: right and so instead of telling you berating you for not knowing about the food system and how you'd failed yourselves for not knowing about the food system i always like to point this out i don't know if you've ever ever been in a relationship i don't know you know like like a long-term committed sort of relationship with another person or a family member but i always like to point this out as a person who is married um (laughs) Just ask you guys: How well does it work if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody you loved um, to have that person tell you all the ways that you're failing them? Does that make you feel really open to loving them and wanting to hear more about how you can please them, or does that make you kind of shut down?
2: Oh, it it, it makes me feel like I have to change, and then ultimately I'm like, I don't know if I can change, and then I kind of shut down.
3: Okay, so it doesn't feel really it it, it isn't necessarily the way. To get what you want, right? Correct. Like if if I say, Declan, you never bring me flowers anymore.
2: You're like, sorry.
3: <laughs> as opposed to saying, Declan, when you bring me flowers, it makes me feel like the most amazing, beautiful woman in the world. Easy. Which, Put which that one in my back pocket? Use it a little later. Right. <laughs> no problem. Right. That that's a different way of looking at that, right? Like, yeah. So if you're always coming up to somebody and telling them how they failed you instead of how they couldn't not fail you <laughs> yeah. I right. so i wondered could i excite different neural pathways i also realized that i, I you know i haven't even told you about half the like i've had some crazy experience i mean and really traumatizing experiences um that i realized that in rooms often when we were doing race training and particularly if i was the only person of color in the room everybody would look at me and i was supposed to tell my ex- I, you know I was a poor black child, I was in foster care, like I was supposed to tell my story of trauma in order to be viewed as human enough to have other people treat me as though I was worthy of dignity and mm. that seemed like a lot of road that I had to cover right It didn't make me a leader it didn't make me and by the way, it didn't make the white men in the room when I was telling them my story and crying or whatever it didn't make them think I was like strong and even though I was it didn't it, it ended up operating on the both sides both of our brains in exactly the wrong way, so I wondered <laughs> what it would look like to have a completely different functional conversation. Could you inspire different neural pathways to light up? Like, oh, this is how we could work together. Oh, this is this is where we agree. This is how we could get together. This is how we could do something together. That different framework was actually pretty revolutionary, um, and so and it really was. I was sitting in a meeting with Target. Um, and they were explaining experience engineering and how they knew when somebody walked in to spend $9, they would move them through the space. And on average, they'd spend 90 and a little light bulb went over my head. And I was like, if stores can do that and and credit card companies know that a certain number of people will take that 0% offer and and then actually start paying the interest because of the way that it's pitched and we allow it to happen for extraction of wealth And most of us think we're pretty good stewards of our resources and can't be moved that way. I just wondered, could we do that around something most of us don't like to admit in the first place, which is that we're biased. We have implicit bias against people who are different than us and that we don't know. We make assumptions about people and that most of us feel a little uncomfortable about it. And so if we could activate that same part of the brain that all these other and the only other players that are doing it are people who are extracting wealth. Um, they weren't doing it to extract sort of misguided notions about health or you know, not sort of things that would might be better for us as knowledge knowledge for mm-hmm. humanity so i just wanted to repurpose that technology that largely has been the organizational development has bet largely been done really to trick us into spending money um and I just was kind of – and I've heard from some people that they think it's a little clever that, like, I took such a technology that was so ubiquitous and people really know what that t- – and I have to say to them, like, if you've been in a Target store and spent more than you plan to, you understand what my technology is. Yeah. Izzy, intentional social interaction, um, why it's a technology, and it's an actual technology. It's the way Disneyland moves you through a space. We move you through – and you notice it, right? You actually – you knew you were going through a process, but it seemed really gentle. And there's all sorts of reasons, by the way, we don't use name tags. Gotcha. Do you want to know some of them? Yes, please. So the first one is just the obvious, what you said. A lot of people who come into a room, um, well, first of all, they're looking for the people they already know, right? Or they're looking for the familiar. Or they're looking for power. So I come into a room and maybe I'm from a nonprofit and I'm the food shelf and somebody is in the room who's a farmer, and somebody's in the room who's a funder. I probably should be listening to the farmer, but I'm probably gonna. If I know that a major funder's in the room, I'm gonna actually go sit next to the major funder. Right, that person. I, I may not go sit next to the 16 year old and learn about the Dakota legacy and the powerful story that we heard by listening mm-hmm. to the 16 year old voice of the Dakota young woman, um, Athena at the the dinner the other night and instead you're listening to say the older white man who's the head of the foundation because you need something right and you need right. to make sure you have that relationship right. you see it as opportunity so you see it as opportunity so one is that two we got a lot of feedback and my name is one of those names i've been to parties where like i was at a, an event once and a guy said you know i said my name is marnita and he said what i said marnita it's seven letters pronounced do you think my name's all like Marnita not that Marnita.
1: complicated and
3: then you can read it it looks exactly it's not like there's no hidden letters N-A-R <laughs> it's like Anita Juanita Marnita it is not that complicated but he said you know I really like to be at events where everybody's named Bob um, which I think would be a boring party and also very complicated like Bob and everybody turns like yeah, it's just uh, like like why do you I, 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 it... there were so many questions I had for somebody who wanted to just be at a party with all guys named Bob like I was so curious about like that does not seem like the worst party you've ever been to. So oh. dry. Yeah. Like, dry. <laughs> like a party with all guys named Bob. like well, Unless it was like a Bob Saget theme party. Uh, well, that could be fun. And if like, and then be, like, there's Playboy Bunny Bob and that's like a girl right. and she's cute with like long yeah. hair. Like, ever- I'm Bob Saget. Like,
2: imagine how many different like... Bob the, builder.
3: Bob the Builder, Bob Saget, I mean, okay, you so
2: all, so that would be so fun, uh, to be honest. I, 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 it's destroying your point. I'm sorry. SpongeBob. Uh, are getting uh, at?
3: SpongeBob. SpongeBob. Oh, see? Oh, see, but <laughs> that was of <creative>, that, <laughs> <was, laughs> that. was a good one. And I'm actually thinking, I'm trying to think of a Bob that's a girl, like like a Bobby. Like, there's Bobbies and Robbies, right? Yeah, like, yeah. my Aunt Bobby. R- and, and Roberta's, Roberta. right? Like, <laughs> there's, there's Robbies and Bobbies, right? So, like,
4: Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things. <laughs> right. Yep. That's her actual name, but yeah but that, it still of, plays yeah. Yeah. and, and, and uh,
3: Bobby Brown the makeup uh, there's a yeah. makeup company that's a black woman Bobby uh, Brown Billy Eilish I know it's Billy, but we, uh, can say, well, go, we, uh, we can maybe we, hey, we can say like because yeah. you know Bobby is well, a friend of Bill's correct exactly. exactly. you, you know can that they hang Bob out Bob and Bill party you know they hang out and yeah. Bill is such an easy you know gate opener to Will William. it's like oh, okay right. here we go now so, let getting out of control so, so now we're just all the way up in like english celtic name like like that kind Correct. of like, like like kind of like <laughs> western european like so in and that I think, I, I think that guy
2: who brought that up to you i mean if we push that on him might like it I think. right it I, a good you're, right and
3: maybe yeah, there's our solution here's the thing <laughs> if you're say Hmong and your name is new you know gnu or one of those names where um what we learned was for people who had names um that maybe we're not as familiar to say it was interesting it turned out most people of color were willing to kind of go down the road like i go to a nail shop and everybody's like oh joe and then joe's name is not joe joe's name is you know vin you know like he is a completely different name but he's made his name a western name just to make it easy because he's He's making it easy, but I don't think that's necessarily great that yeah. we – like we wouldn't tolerate everybody changing our name to another name. Like It's a cultural thing though. When I was right. in Taiwan, uh, there –
2: there's a certain age when they get and they get to choose their own American name. Right. Um, and it's so funny. Like I was asking all these, you know, Taiwanese people, their names and like, they all have lines for him. So like this guy's name was Hansen, not to be confused with handsome. And he like thought of him himself as like a very pretty man, like very uptight, up cultured guy. But I guess there's, you have a choice too. You can either um, like choose your name and do some research on it, or you can like pick a name out of a hat and turn it into like a party. Oh, that's fun! Yeah, I like so it's that. interesting. It's like a cultural thing, though, like that they're they see us in such a high regard in terms of like just English names that they're willing to choose a name to kind of be a part of it.
3: Yes, but almost guaranteed that none of the names that they're choosing are like Lakeisha, correct? Or yeah. you know, you know. Sharkeisha Or, or, or uh, Dante, like, Dante. They, like they're not choosing Like so They are choosing Western col- You know Names of the colonizers They're not right. choosing Names of Indigenous Indigenous <laughs> names Right Like Crime. so Like so other names that Like they're not choosing Well maybe they're now Choosing Beyonce Maybe <laughs> If they're, say, yeah. if they're smart if they're smart i'm beyonce like, like, I was like <laughs> yeah. cute little taiwanese girl like actually probably like a, a, like a like a really cute taiwanese boy like, I was like i'm beyonce and i'm <laughs> fabulous like yes. and i really like k-pop <laughs> there you and, go like so like, like i'm like just i'm into my i by the way i'm very big on k-pop okay. um i'm on i'm big on a lot of things but so the idea here, though, is, you know, how do you create the space where people get to be themselves authentically and how do they show up with their names? And so so the whole name tag thing. But the the first one is, are we wearing name tags right now? No, no. So the first thing is our optic nerve is actually faster than our prefrontal cortex. So we can once you're wearing a name tag, it immediately single, sing, signals that we are not around family, friend and kin. Right. Because don't you only wear name tags when strangers. you're around people, around strangers. Mm-hmm. So before if you're trying to create an environment of organic informality, putting name tags on everybody immediately signals that you're not around friends and family. Right. Um, and and there's another reason that I think a lot of people are always a little surprised by um, is the anonymity piece of it. Like if, if I don't want to give you like, did you know everybody's names that you were having dinner with?
0: No, I tried. I tried to get to know everyone's names, but it's not easy to do.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't have to do it. And in right. fact, that's actually part of Izzy is that outgoing people actually try and do that. And introverts don't. Introverts just literally choose the one or two people they had a great conversation with. They follow up with that one or two people. And so that it doesn't become... It also is, is a way to have like – we've had people at the table from um, people like Hubert Jolie who was my mentor, for, who has been my mentor for many years. He's the CEO. He's the former CEO of Best Buy and he's been my mentor for 10 years. That like when he came to the table, people would be like, who is that charming French man? And they would not realize he was the CEO of a multinational company or a bill like, – something like that that comes who just – would actually like to sit at the table and be a regular guy for a minute, right? Like to just listen to voices and not have everybody want to know his information or those kinds of things. So there's anonymity. There's like so many reasons not to do name tags, uh, not wanting to signal that. And also it gives the opportunity... Um, I, I also like to point out the most basic one is, and the worst one is that you, because you have the name tag as a crutch, you actually do not process the person's name. You kind of casually look at it. And then you also don't, because you're going around looking at name tags, you may not even really focus on faces. I, I once had, I was after a table, a person came up to me at Lunds right here in Uptown mm-hmm. and said, Oh my god! I, you know, I was at your table. Like they, they recognized me. Came over and they said, you know, I realized I go to so many events with name tags, and because you didn't allow name tags, I have been like in, in my own neighborhood. I've run into like six people I met at your table, and because I looked at their faces and I like I didn't remember their name at all, but it turned out they didn't remember mine either, and it was okay. Like we walked up and said, "Weren't you at that cool thing?" and then. And then they reintroduce themselves like right. this idea that you can't do like like it was such a simple solution yeah. and I used to actually say it at, at at tables, you know if you the one thing you can be guaranteed on is that nobody in this room is going to remember anybody's name the next day like so like like that's the one thing you all have in common is you're not going to remember names, yeah mm-hmm. I
2: think that's like a very important thing to bring up because I feel like that's a lot of tension internal tension when i meet someone they say their names so and so and then i turn to the next person i immediately forget i feel bad and almost probably would choose not to reapproach myself to that person
3: because i feel bad that i don't i don't remember their name so so i'm sure you you two do this then like where if you know the person and you don't like where you make him like be like my name is andrew and then you hear them say the name do you do that
0: uh, or, we or we like right before we walk up to someone like yo what's that guy's name again or what did he do and we, yeah. we he remembers names more frequently than i do so i'm okay, so. usually going up to him
3: yeah but know. but that my husband and i used to do that we'd be like okay he'd be like okay do you know that one i'm like no and he's like okay because okay if you don't know them i will go because i haven't met them mm, like i'll go and be right. like oh. hi i'm carl and then the person says oh blah, 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 and he'll say that and i'll be like oh go so good to see you again, Stephanie. and yeah. you like whatever Easy. that is i guess like you you have to have your wing Person, then though, yes, absolutely. That.
2: Yeah, you never want to give your your wingman like bad intel though. Like never, yeah, so that guy, that guy's named Carl, and his real name's Chris. You know, like, you don't want to, you don't want to throw him under the bus like that. And then if it does happen, then I'm like, yeah, i told you, Andrew's name was Chris the whole time. <laughs> I I
3: used to have a guy that I knew in L. A. That every time I saw him, like I, his name was Dan, but I always called him Jim. And I finally just said to him in the novel when it comes out, "You'll be it. <laughs> like, Just make and, a joke out of it. Like, he, he really. I was like, in the novel, your Jim. He was like, oh, I was like, there was no novel, of course, mm-hmm. but but not, he really liked not. that, and that became part of the thing. Yeah, like he'd be like. I'm Jim in her novel. Like, you, know, like, it's like you, can to, you can get away with an amazing amount of things if you're actually somewhat charming <laughs> and, yeah. and, and a little self-deprecating and just <laughs> admit that you're goofy. Yeah, People do not remember names. You, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Nobody remembers names. It's, it's the
0: average quality in everyone. Yeah, wouldn't you say? I would say that. Um, yeah. Go for it, Andy. And with that being an everyone's average quality, that's like something that can bring people together, right? You mentioned right. Or, uh, outside when you meet someone at an event and you don't remember their name, you can use that little internal, like no one remembers names. I can go up and reintroduce myself because I'm guessing they don't know my name right either. And we are the, our backbone of the back pocket podcast is the average quality is something that makes you ordinary, but you also have this extraordinary passion to do something else. We all are ordinary in some way, but we have a belief in something stronger in us to make us extraordinary. So Marnita, I'd like to ask you, what is your average quality?
3: I was just say I'm just a girl. I'm just a squirrel trying to get a nut in this world. You know, like I am. I'm. You know, I. I am not. Uh, you know. You know. When people make those, you know, those kind of aphorisms where they say like I put my pants on one leg at a time, or you know, we all bleed red or whatever. I actually believe those things. Like humans just need love. Mm-hmm. We need to be loved. We need to be valued. I actually am realizing that even people that you think, I mean, I think there's some horrible people out there, but I'm always a little bit surprised at how much power I actually have. Like I give away power sometimes. And I do think sometimes that um not recognizing that, you know, in many ways, I don't know if you know this, but when you come out of the foster care system, like you have to depend on, you're not from your family of origin. So you have to rely on the kindness of strangers. Um, And so, I am aware very much of trying to point out how extraordinary I am so that I am worthy of having a place but the fact is no matter how sort of ordinary brown potato I am I deserve a place and I think that's maybe my most ordinary quality is that I'm just an, I'm just a kind of a nice warm person like I'm actually that when I say come over to my house for dinner like you can take that to the bank you guys are going to come over to the house to dinner you know like mm-hmm. when you know so that's my most ordinary quality I think I'm just I'm just um, you're just um you I'm just me I'm just in this body I'm in I'm 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 bones and skin and and, 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 and a blood. heart that's
0: willing to love
3: yeah you know and that's and i think we all need that and i and i think that that's my most ordinary quality that mm-hmm. that i'm just that. everyday person
0: and giving love and appreciation to that is what makes it extraordinary at the end of the day because that like it's so simple it's so very direct it's you that is that is your ordinary quality but at the like but to the largest extent it it what it, it's what helps affect everything else and that's it. giving more value to the ordinary is what i'm getting at and you're giving the value to yourself in an in and looking at it in ordinary way ultimately allows you to open up because if you were looking at yourself being super extraordinary in those regards you, you wouldn't come off as welcoming and as um wholesome, wholesome
2: yeah, right genuine authentic i also think like if i'm willing like if i want to be your friend or if i want to like be a part of what you're doing i'm doing it because it's you not because of the clout that you have or how many followers you have or whatever it is like it's just because you you've tripled down on yourself and you're comfortable in your own skin. And I like, I want to follow that, you know?
0: Um, and it's taken us a while to figure out exactly what this average quality question we keep asking. Just recognizing it. Yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, we explain it differently every single time. Um, but I think this off season, we definitely kind of had a little bit more of an aha moment with the ordinary and just, and not looking at it as this like difficult thing to interpret but more so just like it's very simple and direct yeah. and right in front of you. I right, think you got it too. Yeah. When
3: I also think about, well, you guys got to experience what we close everything with. It. Yes, uh, I like to bring this yes. Circle Sharon, right? Where we asked, what do you think of that? See me I as. I loved it. I see you. Yeah. Right, like but seem- can you
2: explain? Because I I, sure. I loved
3: that part of the, your table. So we close all Marnita's tables. Um, intentional social interactions with an, a a thing called circle sharing, where everybody stands. We ask that you stand shoulder to shoulder, um, and it's a resource, by the way. So there's a couple reasons we do it. One is that it's a Sometimes when we have 200 people in a room and final circle is 150 people, there's no way in a room of 300 people that you're going to have a chance to know who everybody was in your room. You guys probably, it was smaller. It was like 30 people. So you had more of a chance. But if, once you get up to 50, like you really can't, you wouldn't be able to get to every table, know who everybody was. And Mm so, um, for our listeners real quick, it was like two days before that we went to the one in
2: Farmington. Marnita was on the front of star Tribune for what she did with 200 and what 20ish people in yeah, yeah. Chaska. So, yeah. Let's so, let's be clear. Your tables go
3: from small to very very large. Yes, so they go anywhere from 12 well, their smallest has been 12 and our largest is 3000 at this moment but we're going to be on bridges and things with five and ten thousand so you would not be able to see everybody and so we've had to do some things about Circle Sharon like okay form in you know circles of you know a hundred like pods so that everybody kind of gets a chance and they go and how do you do that and sound there's there's so many technical things about this that are like insane but Circle Sharon the reason we did it was that almost all communities particularly indigenous communities at some point during celebration and ceremony come together in circle so it was kind of mimicking every once in a while that somebody who's raised in the church will come up and say you just turned church into another experience and that's why i we did we took elements of other religions so that it was a shared celebration it wasn't just oh we're having it because it didn't feel just like a community conversation right did it feel like a meeting on food no no it felt more celebratory right like something like we were gathering
0: over food but and we were just talking about what was in front of us and what happens around us, right? Mm-hmm. And so,
3: but it's but it felt a little bit more special, like right. Mm-hmm. Like there's a we, we we there's some pixie dust we throw in there a lot, pretty heavily. So circle <laughs> Sharon is one of them. And so we have now been all over the state of Minnesota. Now we've been to other states. We've been to London. We've done this. We did it with 250 global leaders in London where we had them stand in circle and do see me as. Um, and we actually do them in word pic, you know like the word pictal thing where you take all the words and it's a word cloud
1: Yeah,
3: and we actually have one that's a word cloud it's a word cloud and it's a world of all the oh. words because it was a global leadership thing cool. but so we put everybody in circle and for years we, we almost always asked like, like what is something you can do to improve the food system like we always at the end of it would do a closing question that was about the topic
1: hmm.
3: and at some point um we did a project for the department of employment and economic development which is deed for the state of minnesota and we went to all these rural places and we started asking people um what did you want to be like like how did it wasn't it was what what was the thing you most wanted to hear about yourself was where we started something positive about yourself that you would like to hear from somebody Mm -hmm. and we started and just like and and you just go around and say like you know you are so loved you are you belong you fit and what we discovered we start we did it and we asked like 30,000 people and they all the answers came out in five like I call them five flavors one was you are enough just the way you are two was you belong Three was you are loved. Four was you are valuable. So sort of this intrinsic value. And five was you add value. And in, no matter what, like it did not matter where we went, what color, what age, people had that need. When we ask people how do you want to be seen, sometimes people give us silly. Like somebody once said, "As a Playboy bunny." Like like you know, people will say funny things. Like, but normally people are pretty earnest about it. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, most of the answers, they were just different ways of saying.
0: What you just described, those five touch points. I see you.
3: I see you, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've added to it. And so it's what we do is we go around and so I turn to the person to my left and I say, Um, see me as and if you notice different people did different things. Like some people said, I'd like you to see me as, and some people said see me as and some said. You know, please see me or just see me. Like so they, they get to phrase it. I didn't do it in that room, but normally when there's two hundred people in the circle, we actually say do it in whatever language. And it, it's really interesting to see how people um can understand even when because we don't translate it, but you can always tell what people are saying, what they want to be seen as. It's really interesting. Um, and this is a little bit more technical where we actually say i'd like you to see me and then the person responding before they say how they like to be seen they say back to you like let's well let's go around the circle so i say to you see me as a good guest for the podcast i see you
2: and then i would turn to
0: andrew and i'd say see me as a positive influence i see you and see
3: me as someone who like to see uh, add value I see you and that's how we do it and you guys out there who are listening to us tonight you should try it at a dinner table it wasn't an extraordinary what you felt like Mm yeah again it was so simple like people are really like what I'm interested to hear what you think of that
2: yeah it was it it build built momentum as it went on and you could kind of hear the, the people's brains working of like what their intentions were behind the words and then not only that, but you have people that are. You had, the one thing you also did was you had to look them right in the eyes and say it, right. And there's something different about, you know, when it's your turn and you're looking someone else in the eyes that you met for the first time, and he and he or she says something like from the bottom of their heart of what they want to be viewed as, and like me just meeting this person tonight or you know whatever the situation is, like my words of affirmation to that person, simply just saying I see you is so strong i is really what i felt and then being able to take that energy and then transfer it to the next person and then having that by the end of it all just have like this amazing like synergistic type atmosphere it was awesome
3: yeah the first time we rolled out see me as was actually for a, a piece of work we do that's called decision point and it's bringing people together who all like judges police officers teenagers uh, mental health experts, parents, um, people, young people who have been in the criminal justice system, and young people who have avoided it, and it's a conversation about how to reduce the number of kids of color in the criminal justice system. Mm. And instead of saying like, you know, what's something that you positive you've always wanted to hear about yourself, we really wanted to show we wanted these police officers and these teenagers in this circle. Um, to say how they wanted to be seen, because we were pretty sure, like, we wanted them to actually recognize that no cops had seen me as, you know, like, you know, a thug in blue who wants to harm you. And, and no teenager said, see me as a thug on the street who, you know, is going to commit a crime, you know, like hearing these kids of color say, see me as a big brother, see me as a, see me as a a, a contributor to my community. See me as somebody who doesn't, you know, who wants to learn, like it actually mattered. And people came back later and said, like in the cops and the teenagers came back, you know, um, I remember once, you know, some, one of the young people said, you know, see me as somebody who's not going to break curfew anymore. And it was like one of those funny things It was a teenager realizing that they could, that maybe if they weren't out at two in the morning, they wouldn't be attracting as much negative attention. Like whether that was fair or not, the fact is that was just this little lessening and it was very individualistic and very personal to the people and so how you see people, it's the only time when we come into circle Sharon. Um, there's so many things. Again, like it's like the name tag thing. So many of the things that we do in the room aren't just for one reason. It's also because talk time, so I'm the facilitator, but I actually talk fairly little. Like I, I drop in and do little stories and then I pull out and let everybody else talk. Like it's, not like it's not like community meetings where very often you have the people presenting, this is the presentation of, like if you walked around, there were the sticky stats on the walls mm-hmm. of things. Like there's ways that we give information in the room and that um, when we stand in circle often it was a pretty diverse circle right different ethnicities different ages different colors so it's sometimes we want people to look at the circle and just acknowledge that even in Farmington we're it's not an all white circle anymore it's a because I think a lot of times people still think oh well we're not diverse yet, but mm-hmm. in diverse places, we're really diverse. It's actually that kind of white spaces that haven't become as diverse as diverse space, if, if, if you know if, if you know what I mean by that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: and so to actually call that into attention, because often when we talk about diversity, inclusion, going back to what I reason I started the table was I just didn't see the work being very effective. And part of it was it was a conversation about what was going to be happening 20 years from now. And it didn't ever include what happened to a little brown girl who lived in an all white like it didn't ever it did the way we talk about it never included me in the picture like I was never in the picture um and so standing in circle standing shoulder to shoulder acknowledging everybody's face in the circle um acknowledging each other and then giving everybody the same amount of power in the circle so everybody gets exactly one sentence or whatever you know because that was the other thing when we would do circles and like we would have like mayors like we'd be in towns like a little town out like in the, the mayor and the county commissioner and the like the politicians from the community and they'd want to get up and if they were really inspired by it they'd want to be like I met so many cool people tonight and they they would want to tell you uh, they were used to like getting up and giving a speech Mm -hmm. and you'd be like nope you'd have to say like everybody gets one sentence please honor that so you didn't have to stop them and so there was just so many reasons um, to do that and you'll notice we do it like we don't do it at 9 we do it like at 830 we do it like a half an hour before it happens pretty fast and then people stand and talk to each other like you're like oh I never got to talk to you and what you said really touched me and then that would start a whole new connection or conversation um so circle sharing is pretty powerful and people come up constantly and say you know actually i was at an event i was at a went to colita last night i'm a foodie i think i mentioned that i went to a really good restaurant i two of my sons had birthdays december 18th i'm not february 18th and february 28th so we went to dinner it's 26 one will be 30 we went to dinner at kalita and these two cool black women came in i'm like we're doing this woman's event on march 5th at marnita's table and i was like i need to invite them and my oldest son said like oh it'll be the first time you ever walked up to a cool black woman and just like you should come to my party i do that all the time <laughs> <laughs> so i went over and invited them and 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 i said hi i'm i'm marnita and one of the women said wait stop marnita the marnita marnita's table which is my twitter handler by the way i'm the marnita cuz it's not cuz i think i'm so but when people they either never have heard of me or they know exactly what i do and they and they know the name and they're like i know all about you you're marnita of you're the marnita of marnita's table marnita and it's like this thing it's, it's always like right. the marnita of marnita's table and it was just kind of this funny thing. And so she turns to the other person, like, oh, and she was explaining. And then we did this and then we did that. And, like we stood in a circle and, like, she had it all down. And it's like, it's really interesting. And she had not been to the table for six years and could wow. still remember who she met, what she had done. Like, uh, it had stayed with her. Uh, you know, this. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, you know, <laughs> so it's really funny, like, to be out in the world and have somebody walk up to you and say, you know, I, I was at a, a conference up in Bemidji, um, the last fall and craziness. The photographer in the room comes up and she says, she, She's shooting the pictures as, as we're presenting. It's a conference. Like we're not even doing our Izzy thing, we're just presenting as one of the breakout sessions. Mm-hmm. She comes up, she goes, I came to your table. I went to Eden Prairie High School. I came to your pr- table when I was 16. She was like, it was 10 years ago, wow. and she was like, and she could remember who she. She was like, that was really powerful. I had never met anybody. Really, I'd never really had a, a serious conversation. So when somebody comes up to you and tells you 10 years later, like, can you remember where you ate dinner 10 years ago mm-hmm. and who you met? And like, so uh, by the way, that that goes back to that experience engineering thing in retail trades. That's called resonance and stickiness. It sticks with you and it reverberates in your body, right? That's what we were going for. Like that's actually evidence that we're effective is that somebody walks up to us 10 years later and says, I'm still talking to – you know, we've had stories with people coming up and saying, I met so-and-so and he was my best man at my wedding or I wow. met so-and-so and now they I've hired so-and-so or I've done – you know.
2: Yeah, that's, that's so cool that you're like – that's a to me, that's legitimate impact, right? Right. I mean that is – Leaving a mark in someone through, you know, the thing that you have built. And, you know, throughout all of that, I would ask, you know, what's what is in your back pocket? So this is something that, you know, when pressure becomes stress, anxiety is rising, uh, you're in a tough situation. What do you rely on, whether that's a mental quality or something,
3: something within you that you rely on to come out on top? Um, I'm, I'm addicted to massage <laughs> to be thai honest. massage. Uh, I like Thai massage, but I actually like a new kind of massage that nobody knows here. I had it in India. It's called HILOT, H-I-L-O-T. And it's okay. a Philippine massage and it's, it's on your joints instead mm. of your muscles, which okay. where I experience a lot of my pain is my wrist and my ankles and my knees and my hips and kind of my shoulders. Um, but, um but the the, the fact is what do I have what do I plumb that's interesting so you know I don't wear pockets I always wear dresses so I rarely have pockets Mm -hmm. it's not good for our brand but that's okay that's that's okay we'll make make an exception okay good yeah Yeah. okay good (laughs) I wear leggings I wear tights Um, anyway um, so like but what do I really pull out of my back pocket is um, (sighs) I feel like sometimes I don't know if it's I feel like sometimes like those expressions like my mom always had these crazy aphorisms you know like I never understood why she wanted to skin a cat and why she needed more than one way and things like that like I just never understood some of these things like I'm cutting off noses despite my face all these kind of things but you know one of them that does this too shall pass or like that kind of idea resilience you know this idea that um I don't like pain I don't like But I try to grow every day. You know, it's like, what's in my back pocket? The ability to grow and show up better. What's in my, like, to to acknowledge that I don't know everything. To acknowledge that I'm as good as I can be, um, and I'm imperfect. And and that I can only try to do better tomorrow. And I sometimes will worry, I'm going to call it worry over things. Like, where I'll relive something over and over and over in my brain, and I, I have a lot of trauma in my life. And so for me, it's to try and let go and be better tomorrow to realize and and to see where I intersected with it. Like, I don't automatically always assume that it's always everybody else's fault. Like, I'm a player in this, too. I have have agency that I have control. Like, reminding myself that, like... I mentioned earlier that my mother is a my mother was a lunatic, loved my mother, but she was a lunatic, and one of the things is my mother had a really hard child. she grew up during the depression, born in nineteen fourteen little Irish woman born in um in South Dakota near Sioux Falls and she um her mom I think was really quite oppressive, and as near as I can tell, she loved her daddy, but it really sounds like he was probably an alcoholic and not a very reliable. Like mom, her mom probably had to be (laughs) a little bit more of a taskmaster because dad was pretty useless, would be my guess. But he was the fun one, you know. Right. right. And and mom was holding it together. Um. But realizing, I remember when my mom was about eighty, she was my mom would say really mean things at times, and she'd say, "Well, I never used to be able to say," but and I realized like her, like that that had not been her narrative since she was twenty. Mm-hmm. Like the so that for sixty years she hadn't been under this person's thumb, that she hadn't grown beyond this space by the time she was 80 and I realized that I have to let go of something like you know what I don't live in that little town anymore I mean I occasionally go back and they're really horrible and racist and actually my son and I had an experience there where I took him back to that little town and he always thought that my stories of that town were like the stories of walking uphill you know three miles or five miles without shoes in the snow both ways to school and in fact we were in the town we were standing in front of the house I grew up with and four teenagers in a white in a red car came up through bottles out and told us that like like they screamed, like f word yeah. and and to get out of their neighborhood and i was standing in front of the house i grew up in and my son just started to shake and it, he did not speak about it until like like it was the it was the summer he got accepted into, into Brown University. So he's been graduated. From, and just out of nowhere, a couple of weeks, like a couple of months ago, he said, you know, we were at dinner and he's just like, you know, mom, I always thought you were lying about that. And he's like, I haven't really been able to talk about it, but like your town was really that crazy. But like, but to really let go, like to actually be show up differently. What does it mean? Like not just to assume that you, you're always right. Like what could you do better? What mm. could you have done? What could you do better? And that's what I keep in my back pocket, the desire to improve.
2: I love that, constantly asking that question. Right. And speaking of uh, great questions here in the back pocket, we uh, our producer, Ty, over here, he's always got killer questions. Ty, do you have a question from Arnita?
4: I do. So you talked a lot about, you didn't actually get a chance to get really into your upbringing, but I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of interesting stories. Probably time. We're almost at two hours, so probably, probably for, another, <laughs> sure. for another episode. Um, but I want to know your thoughts on this whole conversation between nature and nurture Um, so obviously you know you came up both in a difficult you know nature a difficult environment Uh, you're just talking about your town and nurturing it didn't sound like maybe there was all too much um, of you know you being included in that love circle growing up so I wanted to know you've turned out to be obviously a really fantastic woman it's been fantastic hearing your all of your stories how do you think that dichotomy plays out um, maybe just for you or, or for other people as well
3: so I think it's both I think it's a both and. I think you need nurture, and I think you need nature. Um, the thing that really helped me, and I have to say this, so I spent most of my life wanting to die. Out of a sixty-second minute, on a good day, two to anywhere from ten to fifteen seconds, I would think everybody would it would the world would be better if I just didn't exist. And on bad days, it was about forty-five seconds. Um, and, um, there was a a moment in my life where I ended up taking antidepressants and I remember about five weeks into it, looking at myself in the mirror and it was the very first time in my entire life that I looked at myself and thought, she seems like kind of a cool person. Like, wow, like not having that mind chatter, like you, like I used to have this script that ran in my head. And so for me, the thing that has helped me for my mental health and to overcome trauma is to remind myself that the brain's only job is to keep you alive. That is your brain's job. If your brain is telling you you should die, then your brain is malfunctioning. (laughs) It's like, like if your brain is actually sending you a signal that you should not be walking on the earth and your job, your brain's job is to keep this all intact and to keep it functioning and it's telling it you should drive off a cliff then you probably need to work under the hood a little bit and work on that because you wouldn't drive a car that kept like jerking you like into the median right you'd be like oh get the steering fix like you like right like so so the nature versus nurture thing is you know the fact is, um, my all my brothers and sisters graduated either salutatorian or valedictorian from school. I am a high school dropout. I am a college dropout. I, um, but I, we have all the abilities. There's nothing that we can't. Everything is online now. Like, like if as long you as want you to look
2: up about a podcast, you can do it on YouTube. Right, right,
3: now. right, exactly. Like you can learn anything. You want to learn about the food system, you could, you could become a master on it. You know, just buy what you could get for free online. And so you know, to me, the nurture versus nature thing is they're so, they're a Mobius strip. If you know what a Mobius strip is, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's the inside and the outside. It's like, huh. So how do, and and everything we do, as I said, is like, we do things that are based on behavioral science. So it's not just a warm and fuzzy. You come into a room, like we've actually thought about the nurture versus nature. Like, so like, huh, what does it feel like when you hear children laugh? Like what happens in your brain? What happens when somebody touches you that you feel safe with versus somebody, you know, that they, actually done tests to prove that uh, for instance like if you are with a partner um, and they scratch they do a scratch test where like they make like a little scratch on you and if they make you fight with your partner it takes like three days longer for that scratch to heal than if you're being loving like so understanding that interplay between nurture and nature like so nature is your body like your biology saying well this is but without the nurture with like or feeling antipathy towards somebody actually makes your body less able to heal how do you separate those two things right like so if you're not in a safe environment i think that probably the more extraordinary thing is that um i am it's not extraordinary i think and i and i and i do think it's not extraordinary when you see a flower garden and there are oh, look at all the flowers and they're all beautiful and they're all growing in that garden and the garden has enough sun and it has enough soil and it has enough water and it has good seeds, right? That's, (sighs) I'm probably the flower that somehow survived coming up. I don't know if you've ever stopped and noticed this. I noticed this, like being somewhere and seeing a really beautiful flower growing up like, through cracks, like growing up through concrete mm-hmm. or growing through a wall, like where you're like, how did you survive? Like, what the heck? Like, like you know, like and so I think that probably I I'm a pretty tenacious person. That whatever that was, like my little seed just found a way to. My little roots were looking like I collected every like I was like, oh, there's a little soil over here, you know, because because you had to because i had to but but you know what i left home at 16 like i could have just as easily ended up i think a lot about the term there but for the grace go i you know like you know why didn't i end up as a drug addict on the street like so, like i mean i was 16 like think about that for like and i was a. Yeah. I I mean like how was i able to get a job i got a job i got an apartment like i got a checking account like i mean like i didn't just like couch surf i I signed a lease at age 17 and was living right. in a big, like, how did I, what the? That's kind of wacky in its own mm-hmm. way. You know, so, like, I don't actually think that, I, I do think that people can do these things. I don't, I always like to say to young people, I do not advise it. <laughs> like, it was not an easy thing to do. Um, I survived. Um, and I don't, I do think I'm really ordinary. I don't think I'm extraordinary that I survived, but, I wouldn't advise it. I think everybody needs nurture. <laughs> I just I you know it's so like How to about me, this?
2: Everybody deserves nurture.
3: Everybody deserves nurture. We need it and we deserve it. And and whether we're ordinary, extraordinary, or less than ordinary, even when we're bad, even when we're naughty, I do you guys like dogs? You don't like dogs. I, we've had this conversation. You don't like dogs. She's pointing at Andrew. <laughs> I am pointing at Andrew. Andrew does not like dogs. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, but so I have dogs, and I have two dogs, and they're really groovy. But one of them teaches puppies. He's eleven years old, and he actually teaches puppies how to behave. And the other dog, Teo, is very naughty, and he's eleven months old, or he's seventeen months old now. And but he's naughty. He's not. He's so naughty. He's so funny, and he's so naughty. He's just like he's like I'm naughty, and I just it's like, and I realize. I love him because he can be naughty. Like, I never felt like I could be naughty. Like, he's naughty and he's still loved. Like, and it's like, you just ate that shoe and I still love you because you're so cute. Um And and to realize, like, you can, you know, you could spill milk and still be loved. You can do things. Like, I always thought I had to be perfect to deserve love. And I don't think, I, I think what we need is to have, one of the conversations we do at the table is called Grace. And it's really about what does it look like to forgive? What does it look like to let go and forgive something that somebody did to you? Mm -hmm. Um, my foster father sexually abused me for many years and, um, Before he died, he asked for my forgiveness and I gave it because I just didn't, but I did it for me more than him because it didn't, but I also talk about it and it's not really comfortable for my brothers that I talk, they they feel like he's dead and don't speak all of the dead and it's still my story. It's like, I think some of these conversations that we're having, when we have conversations and I hope you want me on as a guest again, or you want to like, well, maybe we'll explore this when we start doing my podcast. Of course. Absolutely. Uh, Because. we're going to do my podcast, right? Yeah. We have so much material. You have no idea. But one of the things that, that is important that we talk about is that, you know, that we are in communities sometimes that are marginalized and have. So how does a community say if you have a couple that maybe there's been domestic violence, you know, some somebody coming out of prison that assaulted somebody but you have to live in the same like think about that for a second like we don't talk about some of these really hard issues sometimes well how do you unless we're planning to just excise anybody who's ever done anything wrong to another island how do you welcome those people back in like you know, like I don't know if you have ever noticed, but we call people who have been in the criminal justice system felons for the rest of their lives. Mm. Why are you called a felon for the rest of your life when supposedly you paid your debt back to society? So, like, what does that look like? What does it mean? Like, so that's when we talk about nurture versus nature and how you know our need to belong. Like, that's why it's the crux of the work of the table yeah. is making sure people that like how do you live a new future? How do you do yeah. that? How do you how do you forgive somebody for? thinking that you're not smart enough to learn or not paying you enough to support yourself like and and not thinking that person is a bad like
2: yeah i i totally get what you're saying and i think that's why andrew and i are super excited to produce a podcast for you because you're amplifying questions with answers and experiences and perspectives that not a lot of other people have and i think that's powerful and I was personally very like skeptical behind the business model of like oh produce other people's podcasts that'll be a, like a fun thing to do but I was quite questioning because I like didn't know what that podcast would be or what it would look like if if it's not mine then what is it right but you know now getting to know you and seeing all the great work experiencing it now a little bit I'm just charged up to be able to have an opportunity to amplify that myself.
3: Oh, yeah. In our podcast, we're going to have food. And yeah. We're going to be like, talk. We're going to be like, okay, <laughs> let me get a lot. okay, okay, I'm chewing. It's a real deal. I mean, but. I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> gonna, so you get it. food when you're working with me. Yeah. Really? Really? yeah. Yeah, you really get food when you're working with me.
4: Uh, I should use that as a negotiation tactic because I get no food here. Oh, we uh, come we, on, we fed it. you
3: on their first day. Yeah. on your first day how long have you been
4: here uh, a year <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't gotten food since okay
3: <laughs> so you'll get food every time with me wow. yeah
4: there you go oh, Mardy's
3: throwing shit. deals yeah. I'm throwing <laughs> deals I'm throwing out the deals hey I have a question
2: so yeah. I, I've been noticing we've been sitting here for what two, two hours ish yeah, your five. necklace
3: can you explain this necklace? It's it's it looks like a person climbing up a ladder. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys throw things. I don't know if like if they we ever do you ever like give people like uh, notes. So what I'm holding with this is this is my favorite artist. Okay. His name is Sergio Bustamante.
1: Mm.
3: He is from Guadalajara, Mexico. And this is actually a replica of an 18 foot tall statue that is on the Malecon in Puerto Vallarta. If you look up Sergio Bustamante stairway or like a ladder, Uh, it, it can't remember the name of it. It, the necklace has a different name than the, and it's, there's a man with a funny little triangle head like this standing at the bottom of the statue. And it, and it stands 18 feet. Like, you can um, climb it. It's 18 feet up into the sky. And two other people are flying off of it. And it's one of my favorite statues in I've the seen, world.
0: I've seen it. I've been to Puerto Vallarta. I've seen it. Yeah. This I, is it. Gotcha. And he has it's a gallery. Yep.
3: He has a gallery. And this is it. Mm-hmm. And he's, he has a and gallery cool. in Puerto Vallarta. And that's where I plan to retire. And so that's All right. That's that's where we'll have our other podcasting studio. Is hey. at my, my house in Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're in. We're in. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and that's where we're going to be producing podcasts. Between uh say, let's say November and May. Hmm. All right, all right, sweet. We Solved a problem. To <laughs> <start>. <laughs> just thought Perfect. I'd share that. Just yeah. i share that with you. Oh, I love that. I have a I'm very future planning. Yeah. <laughs> like when we're doing this four years from now and we're sitting on the beach, like, you'll be like, remember when Marnita mentioned this and we thought that she was just Yeah. Well, you know
2: (laughs) what I'm going to say is I'm going to say, remember when we went to a meeting in the fritz, me and Andrew in a fritz of, you know, what the hell we're going to do with this podcast. We're like, we got to meet with our good mentor, Phil Zhao. We go to him for everything. We show up to Hoban uh, Korean barbecue and I, I walk in and I sit down with Phil, but I sit down next to you. Right. And that was the first time i had ever met you. And we were there for two, two and a half hours, just like listening to you talk, you know, sharing our story and like. It was that moment and Andrew could back me up on this. It was that moment when we left that studio that we knew what we were going to do for this year. When we went into that before we were like, you know, we. When we'll probably talk about this as it co- kind of comes to pr- fruition, but. We didn't even know if we were going to keep podcasting again. We didn't really know what was going to happen. We didn't really have. Oh, you have
3: to keep solid business. Hey, people, send us, like, like love them and let them know they can't stop this. They're really talented. So give them some love tonight. And it wasn't because
2: we didn't love to podcast. We were getting offers and just lots of different things were coming across our table. But when we left that night after seeing Phil for the first time in probably six months and meeting you for the first time, it was that moment where I was like, "All right, we're on the right path. This is this is what we should do. This is the worthy path."
3: So and, thank you. And all I have to say about that is, I am a fan of holding and, and not selling intellectual property for too cheap. Mm-hmm. I I actually believe that there's a lot of value. Like first of all, just even if it's not making a ton of money, the the value in holding your own intellectual property and not not releasing it and look at what's happening with taylor swift ask taylor how she feels about holding her own intellectual property and what she did when she sold her you know like her, her, her original catalog that she can't always sing all of the songs that she created because she sold her access to her property and i i just i i watched that happen um to, and I and and be aware of that in the technology world you know like I was just reading an, an article maybe in wired or something but it was about how many promising technology companies have been just bought out and shuttered you know mm. so like yeah the, the 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 founders made a little money but it was for their baby to basically be killed you know it's like yeah. it wasn't uh-huh. to actually to to grow to it flourish, or yeah. to flourish or that the that that all the initial labor that was put in they they really aren't getting back the value and i and i think that i think that's going to be a i think that's going to be a coming thing that people want to hold more of their intellectual property yeah. that they'll want to hold that that capital that intellectual capital will actually yeah. matter to them oh absolutely
2: absolutely
0: but marnita this brings us to our final yes um little segment Uh, A challenge question and this is how we've built our podcast um, over the last year with with having 120 people on our show people ask us all the time how do you get 120 people on our show well the person before them challenged us to have someone whether it be their friend their neighbor or someone they didn't think was possible to have on the show they challenged us to have another guest
3: so Marnita who do you think would be a great fit for the back pocket Hmm. there's so many like, I don't, I mean, like, I, I, it makes me want to ask some questions. Like, I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, do you guys like, some, I mean, like, you know, I'd be really fun to have some like cool artists like Lizzo and I got, like other people that would be like have some relationship to the community. Yeah. But then I also really think that sitting down, I mean, your thing about what you have in the back pocket, I am always impressed really with what I'm learning now. You know, we always have these Gen Zers in the room. Mm hmm. Like I think you should have Athena on your podcast. Yeah, I think you should younger. have. I think you should have some young indigenous people on your podcast. People who may you may not know. I, I I did not know nearly as much as I should know about the indigenous lands that I live on. And I think yeah. that making a point of bringing indigenous voices that are are really silenced on onto your podcast would be something I'd really be interested in. All right. Awesome. Challenge accepted. Ch- yes, challenge accepted. Thank you. And also, Lizzo wouldn't be a bad idea as well. Yeah. Besides, that, <laughs> let's besides, like, let's, let's say, like Lizna, Lizzo and marginalized, and and you know, like, right. Again, again, I'm bourgeois. Right. With a heart. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm very woke. But very bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like I, I wasn't going to let you just sneak away with <laughs> dropping the Lizzo name and then not, and then just like not address that. That's a big name. That's a huge mm-hmm. name. That's dominating the sandbox. So she, I mean, she she started her big music career
3: right? Exactly. Yes.
2: Do you wait? So do you actually know Lizzo? No, but I could. We could figure it we out. We could.
3: Yeah. Yes. Get yes. her to a table. You don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I'm always a little surprised. I'm I'm in spaces sometimes where, um, <laughs> to be honest, like. You you yeah. Bougie. I'm <laughs> I'm a little bit of an it girl. At least I was when I was young. Okay. Like just enough that like I would go to spaces and like red ropes would open like, oh it's smart.
1: It's more-
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually went – this is a true – I know you're, you're, we're writing down, but I was just going to say I went to a pajama party. There was a pajama party in L.A. every year that was a woman's pajama party where all the women literally wore pajamas. And then – and it was this crazy group of women. It was like Carrie Fisher and the Pointer Sisters and it was this
0: – Wearing pajamas.
3: All of us hanging out and it was a slumber party. And it was – this party started at 11 at night and ended at 8 in the morning and they had like chefs and all these crazy stories. And it was – it was a, a – Katie Seagal. It was right when, um, I can't remember the family show. Wait, uh, go, uh, Chrissy. What uh, the blonde? You know, um, uh, <sighs> Married with Children. Gotcha. Uh, like Katie Seagal <laughs> was the mom. Married with Children. And Christina Applegate. Like it was all these kind of like, like like mm-hmm. Chrissy. Like it was crazy. So like yeah, there's yeah.
1: That's
3: crazy. I I I I I, You're I, I, with you. I, I know. Uh, one of my old girlfriends is uh Tony Basil. You know, oh, wow. yep. Yeah. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. <laughs> hey, Mickey. <laughs> hey, Mickey. See,
2: I really just want to be a late night DJ. That's <laughs> really what my
3: persona. I think is.
2: that's what this podcast uh, <laughs> t- like. That's the
3: biggest takeaway. That's really. Right. I, <laughs> I, I, like, I should just sit in my room, like, hi. I've got a mic. <laughs> I'm just talking. Yeah, nobody's listening to me, yeah. but I'm here. My husband would be like, "What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're having
2: a lot of trouble producing Marneesa's podcast. She just wants to do everything ASMR. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> All right, final question. Sure. Okay, what did you learn today, from the time you woke up to the time we're recording now, which I think it's like what eight o'clock or something? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, eight been p.m. A, been a full day. Been a full day. Um, I learned all about myofascia. And I have not. I, I went to a um, uh, somebody who was a specialist in fascia, which is hmm. the 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 things under your skin that um, form like they like you. If you've ever felt your skin kind of crackle. It's called fascia. It's like when you have oh, an injury. Yes. Um, and so I'm working through some fascia things. And so I went to a fascia specialist before I came and I'd never done that before. Rolling out like the IT bands and stuff like that. I had IT band work done today
0: mm-hmm.
3: with fascia. Yes. yes. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. That's what I did today. Mm-hmm. Did never heard of an IT band. And now I've heard that twice today. Twice. Look
2: at that. that. Just came full circle. I, I full really, came for, yeah. Here's here's a bad one. Uh, Bob what? Ross's hair isn't real. His afro. Did you know that? Who's, I don't know. Bob Bob Ross Ross? is the painter. The guy who. (laughs) I don't really know Bob Ross either, but everyone's him for Halloween. Yeah. He's like the big afro white guy who paints on TV from like the 90s.
3: Oh yeah. No, didn't know him. Don't know him. But his hair's not real. It's not not real. real. Mm -hmm. He has
2: like long straight hair apparently and it. Mm -hmm. But he sported an afro for Mm. the majority of his lifetime. Well, I want to know,
3: what did you learn tonight? Did you learn anything from me?
0: Mm Hmm. I was gonna go. I I had learned something else during the day, and then I'm gonna get to uh, what I learned on this podcast. Okay. I learned that um, you you don't use both of your nostrils fully, ever. Mm. One nostril is working fully, and the other one t- turns off a little bit to re-moisturize and not dry out, and then it rotates. And you, uh, if subconsciously, you'll never know which one's working. It's sometimes you can tell when you take a like. D- big deep breath oh
3: i can almost always because uh, yeah, yeah. i there's actually a thing about whether like i can't remember it is but you can tell whether you have a cold or a science thing a, 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 a sinus thing mm-hmm. based on which nostril is closed or open mm-hmm. and, oh I, interesting i could play
0: into it
2: mm-hmm. uh, what i learned about uh you on this podcast is you are a very phenomenal speaker so we went two hours and some change tonight and we've done those before and there are times in the podcast where but when we do go that long where i'm like wow like we're really doing this like we're really throwing a podcast marathon out here but i was so dialed into your cadence how you delivered every story how you how you answer a question and then go into a story come back around show how it all comes together you're a very elegant speaker that is what i learned thanks
0: and i also learned the the importance of adding value in every situation and the way to look at it from others um just from the simple uh idea when you were in san francisco and you were making food for your neighbor and the kind of how that adding value um piece re- kept reiterating throughout your entire journey and your entire story now into what you're doing today um to all the way to when you're asking donors for money the the idea of adding value and providing um th- everything outside of money investments prior to engaging in a conversation where you would eventually ask for money um that whole journey you just took us on, Marnita, thank you for sharing it. It was awesome. We took a ton away. I know our listeners did. And I'm just i I'm looking forward to our next engagement and the one after that because every single time Declan and I walk away, we're just super energized and we're like, all right, what's next? What could be next? <laughs> we're <really> so <laughs> excited. So this is just the beginning.
2: Yeah. So congratulations, to all of us.
3: It's <laughs> my honor. Thank you. <laughs>
1: In front of her, she could never pay someone
3: else to say What she's trying to get across to you She's a star gazing, and You
0: can see the look in her eye She's a dream chasing. She's made up her mind, made up her mind Just watching out
1: Everything she says, I'm gonna have to try and catch her now.